0: xbox on welcome to xbox on a podcast with one host about one console xbox i am said host jesse Derosa, and on today's episode we'll be talking about the latest xbox news for the week of september 14 2023 including get in debt with the all new xbox credit card starfield had a very successful opening week and we will talk much more about that game this week embracer is considering selling borderlands developer gearbox and more this day in Xbox history, in the year 2004, 19 years ago, Fable was released on the Xbox, the original OG Xbox. So, obviously, one of the, I think, most fundamental, uh, just foundational franchises and original games of the Xbox brand, of course, Fable. When you strip Halo from the original machine, and you think about what is the most uh, console-defining game for this platform, I mean... I don't know. I guess in retrospect, it's probably a little muddy. I think maybe I don't know. We had Project Gotham Racing. We had then later Forza. Following that, we have Fable. We have Blinks the Time Sweeping Sweeper. Yeah, Blinks the Time Sweeper. I don't. Yeah, I don't think we're ever seeing that again. Voodoo Vince. Let's see. Grab by the Ghoulies. We got freaking Ninja Gaiden. You got Fusion Frenzy. I don't know. There, and then there's a lot of third parties I think that are heavily associated. You know, you got second-party games like Jade Empire. You got third-party games that are just more aligned with the Xbox brand, like maybe uh, Splinter Cell or something like that. But I don't know. I think I think Fable, outside of Halo, I think Fable is probably the second most... Man, I feel like... Comment in if I'm just really missing one. But I would say, uh, other than Halo, Combat Evolved, and of course Halo 2, which was also an OG Xbox game, Fable was probably the most quintessential Xbox game, although it has much less, like, mainstream appeal. You know, I feel like the series didn't really get bigger and bigger until Fable 2 and 3. That's when it had more of a wide cast net of a fan base. I feel like that original Fable, obviously, it's a critical darling. It's a huge, a hugely beloved title for fans of the of the platform. So, Fable, very important. Xbox game, in fact, so important that to this day and for the past 47 years, We've been waiting for the return of Fable, and that's why we're all waiting with bated breath for this uh, update on Playground Games' take on the franchise as it gets uh, the, re- the reboot treatment. So shout out to Fable, uh, if I can. You know, one of my big Xbox sins that I have to just be honest up front about is I've never played Fable. My uh, two of my brothers have played it extensively, and I remember growing up as a kid being again. It's just one of those games. It's like it's like Elder Scrolls uh, before I finally started getting to be- Bethesda games, where it's just I'd walk around the house and see there's my brother playing Fable again. And there's my other brother playing Fable again, but I never played Fable. So I'm very, I- I've been very much exposed to these games, but never really played them. And I remember even like into my middle school and high school years, friends playing, oh, Fable 2, Fable 3, and all that. And just like, nah, I'm good. I'll just keep playing Black Ops and Halo 3 or whatever the hell I was doing back then. So Fable is a huge blind spot for me. I thought a lot recently about wanting to really go back and playing that. Fable Anniversary Edition, just in preparation of the new Fable game coming out in 2024, 2025. But I just, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, where where do you find the time? It's a big Western open, well, not huge, but it's it's a Western RPG style game, and you know, it's just. I know it's a. It's not as it's not as uh, dynamic and intense and full of just amazing things to do and see the in the in the way of like a Bethesda game it's not that expansive but I, I do know it is a game that you definitely want to get lost in a little bit and kind of spend some spend some considerable time with so finding the time to play fable and finally get acquainted acclimated with the series in some way is uh, it's just tough it's been tough trying to find the time but I need to do that Because it is probably my biggest Xbox sin, you know? I think of anything that's ever been in my backlog, the one that bothers me the most is the Mass Effect trilogy. Whenever whenever I think about my backlog, the first game that comes to mind is always Mass Effect. But if I'm just thinking purely from the standpoint of a guy who's responsible for talking to people about Xbox every week as a a self-proclaimed... Actually, I don't consider myself an Xbox pundit. But as a uh, self-asserted Xbox speaker... From a week to week basis, I it just it seems a little hypocritical and maybe uh, maybe uh, a little bit amateurish that I just don't have fable under my belt. So I really do feel the pressure. Also, I, I just think I think older me will appreciate this game better. It's not all just the the arbitrary pressure to give the game a go. I think I I would genuinely like this game now as an adult in a way I obviously wouldn't have cared for it as a child because as a child, if a, listen, if when I was a kid, if a game didn't have like aliens and spaceships or spider-man or something like that in it, I didn't give a shit. I wanted guns, I wanted explosions, I wanted sci-fi, or I wanted spider-man, or I wanted a, a little Italian man that can jump on mushrooms, and if you weren't any of those things, and of course, I also want a really, really, really fast hedgehog, uh, but if you weren't any of those things, I really didn't want anything to do with you when I was a kid, so... Older Jesse's not as bigoted, I'm not as close-minded. I, I Listen, I'm okay with little British boys that wear oven mitts and run around chasing chickens. I, I accept you, Fable. I'm sure there's something about you I will find endearing, and therefore I want to uh, put myself inside of your world. So, Fable. Happy 19th anniversary, Fable. We are all very close to the grave. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to Xbox On. We got some notable game releases coming out this this week. Uh, Two of them that are actually releasing today, I think, are very much worth noting. So, on Thursday, September 14th, Xbox players can look forward to the following two... Well, there are plenty of games coming to Xbox this week, but of all the games coming to Xbox this week, I think the two most notable releases are as follows. First one here is Solar Ash, which I'm actually very excited to play this game. Um, This is a day one Game Pass game of a game developed by uh, Heart Machine, the developers behind Hyper Light Drifter. I think that game came out in 2016. It was a really popular indie PS4 RPG-style uh, game, action RPG game, I, th- I believe. And uh, later came to Xbox and PC and all the rest. And uh, in 2021, they released a new game called Solar Ash. And just like they did with Hyper Light Drifter, came to PlayStation and all that jazz first. And now this week, it finally comes to, almost two years later, finally comes to Xbox, so, uh, yeah, I think it's also coming to PC for the first time, I think it came to PlayStation and Switch earlier, I don't remember, don't care, because I'm not playing on any of those platforms anyway, so, it's finally coming to Xbox, starting this week, you can play on series consoles or Xbox One, it's a day one Game Pass game, but the thing that makes this game so enticing to me, and different, is unlike Hyperlight Drifter, it is not an old retro style Action look looking pixel indie game action RPG style game Solar Ash is very much a uh, a action platformer game and third 3D platformers the only genre of video games I enjoy more than a solid first person shooter is a uh, is an action third person platformer game like I'm talking Mario 3D games 3D Sonic games. Uh, Hell, even like Ratchet and Clank, which obviously is a third-person shooter as well, but is also heavily a platformer as well, or or if you want to go further back into the Insomniac catalog, Spyro the Dragon, games like that, so that's like my all-time favorite video game genre, so Solar Ash, I'm very much interested to play you, not only because you're just an action platformer, but because... It's a it's a developer that's pretty well-regarded. Heart Machine, There's they got a lot of that, like, indie allure, that kind of, like, artistic-autistic. Oh, Annapurna Interactive is the publisher. Oh, you know, they're kind of like that that artsy, hipster-style game that I'm like, you know, every, every now and then you want to dip your toes into one of those so you can feel cultured and drink a freaking latte and wear a scarf even though it's Florida and it's never sweater weather. Uh, it's that, that kind of energy. So I'm, I'm interested in playing this game. And on top of that, the other main reason I really want to try this game is, let's be honest, guys, Two seconds of gameplay footage, and you'll see very clearly that this game is inspired by Tony Hawk slash Spider-Man slash Sonic the Hedgehog. There's a lot of this weird grinding on rails, going super fast, swinging around shit. And it seems like the only complaint critics had with this game is that the camera can be wonky sometimes. And if you are a 3D platformer with a wonky camera, that just screams Sonic the Hedgehog to me. And I I, I mean, that's that's my fucking spirit animal. You know, that's my my kink is wonky camera 3D platformer. So I'm very much interested in playing Solar Ash. The only issue is that. I'm still so, so, so into Starfield. I really don't want to play absolutely anything else in the in the world right now. So, just got to find time to play this game because I know this is a Jesse game. It's just that, uh, I mean, I, I wish I could quit my job and just play Starfield full time at this moment because that is how into Starfield I still am uh, over a week into playing the game. But uh, yeah, that's the first one is Solar Ash. The second game I'm not as hot on, but it is a notable release, and it is a game that I'm sure is quite good. I just never played one of these before. It is uh, The Crew Motorfest. This is the third entry in the Crew franchise, the Ubisoft open-world racing arcade-style game. Um, I know this one off, offers more like off-roading stuff, dirt bikes, off-road vehicles and all that. So I'm sure this is a very fun game. I love car games. I love racing games. I love arcade racing games. Obviously, I love Forza Horizon a, a great deal. Uh, I'm sure the crew, Motorfest, would be a wonderful game. It's just that there, this is a genre that is, in my opinion, kind of crowded uh, because where I could take a really solid first-person shooter Every two, three months, and, and and be like, keep them coming, baby. I'm loving these games. My my love for arcade racers and things like that is it's a little more. It's a, like there's a little bit more time to space these games out for me. Like I can I can deal with a solid racing game every two years, but I feel like between. Everything EA's got, everything's U- Ubisoft's got, everything Xbox and PlayStation, all these. They, everyone has a really solid lineup of racing games. Whether you're into like sim racing or arcade racing or open world or more like legit arcade, where it's just like pick a track, go. There's just there's so much from indies to triple A's to third parties in the racing sphere that I'm very much like, you, I, I'm I just feel kind of satiated between forza motorsport and forza horizon and i mean obviously the crew is a lot more like a forza horizon than it is a forza motorsport but that said we are getting forza motorsport in less than a month here so it's like i'm I'm more than happy to just wait. And if there was one other racing game I was going to play this year, it wouldn't be the Crew Motorfest Fest. Uh, after Forza Motorsport, the, if I had to play a second racing game this year, it would be Hot Wheels Unleashed 2, which also comes out next week uh, because the first Hot Wheels Unleashed is freaking awesome and because I am almost 30 years old and still love Hot Wheels. So uh, shout out to the crew. I'm sure it's a good game. Again, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those very Ubisoft games where it's like, this franchise has been around for like 10 years. They keep making them. I don't know anyone who's ever played them. I'm sure a lot of people have played them. It's just one of those games that doesn't get a lot of buzz. Who's playing these games? Who's buying these games? Why do they keep making these games? You know, it's very much the same energy I get thinking about like, uh, I don't, like, um, like what was it? Watch Dogs. You know, well, the first Watch Dogs got a lot of attention, but then the second one just kind of came and went. The third one just kind of came and went, and I'm sure people are buying them. They keep making them after all, but like, No one ever talks about these games, they just kind of happen. And that's Ubisoft in a nutshell, although X Defiant does look really good, and that's coming very soon, so... Alright guys, let's get into some corrections. No no real corrections this week, Um, I just wanted to say a couple things, some things to address. First of all, I forgot a comment last week. I I wrapped up recording and said, shit, it looks like I literally just skimmed right over one of the comments, and... Not only is it unacceptable because, to me, the most important part of the show is engaging with you, the audience, and and encouraging you guys to speak so that we can have a two-way dialogue, but also because the specific person I skipped over is someone who should never be skipped over. In fact, I have I, I'm so upset with myself that on Monday and Tuesday I fasted, didn't eat a damn thing, and uh, and I and I and I I, I, I tied myself. Uh, to my ceiling yesterday and, and, and hung myself for for 20 minutes upside down until all the blood rushed to my head and just when it got to the point where I was about to pass out I cut the ropes and let myself down because it just it was just I had to punish myself there you had there has to be some kind of accountability for doing something like what I did last week in missing out on a comment from none other than Sam Frito formerly Sam Torres uh, and soon to be Sam Frittata who knows uh, he wrote in and said. You can play Mercenaries 2 on the Xbox 360, but those F-ups at EA games had too much coffee in their enemas and never checked the does-this-shit-play-in-2014 box uh, DRM notification. You need to use NFS Carbon, or use a Need for Speed Carbon, lame to buy now but fun to laugh at disc, and it corrects all the stupid that EA presented consumers with back in 09. I love that. I love... I love on this day in Xbox history. I imagine in 2033, fuck me for sounding dead already, you'll be saying 10 years ago, Starfield came out and pushed every person on Sony's bankroll to reject Bethesda and bitch like (laughs) we British babies Uh, that space was last place they wanted to go. Uh, 10 years ago sounds like MCU villain ramp-up time. Uh, it, it, It sure fucking does. Well said for Sam. And Sam, might I ask, with a last name like Frito... It begs the question, are you British? Um, You don't have to answer that, but uh, that does kind of lead into the next thing I want to bring up, which, hold for a second. I don't know what the hell you're talking about, about this Need for Speed Carbon trick. Is there some kind of trick where you have to buy a copy of Need for Speed Carbon, put it in your Xbox, and then it unlocks the key to let you play Mercenaries 2 on your Xbox One? I I need to look into this, because I have no clue what the hell you're talking about. Oh, I I think you're just mentioning here the fact that Xbox set up the backwards compatibility thing where it's just basically the box you had to click, and then the, it was up to the publishers. You're reiterating the way the backwards compat compatibility was set up for Xbox One title or for Xbox 360 games on Xbox One. Which, yes, you're right. It was basically Xbox did everything, but for legal purposes, they couldn't just make it that way. They had to basically have the publishers sign off on each and every game that they own. And EA basically didn't do it to a lot of these games. And of course, you can you can assume this is greed related. This is very much. EA saying, well, what if we want to do, like, re-releases or remasters or remakes of these games? We don't want to have these other versions floating around. Maybe that's the idea, or maybe they just didn't really see the value in it, because, I mean, games like Dead Space are, are backwards compatible. You know, Mass Effect is backwards compatible. So, and I think Mass Effect 1 was the original game showcased, on Xbox's stage in 2015, when they announced backwards compatibility, so it's not like EA didn't support this. So yeah, it must have been more of just like uh, we genuinely don't give a shit enough about these games to even put forth the effort and check the box to let them be backwards compatible compatible in the first place. So anyway, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to think about it because it makes me freaking sad that these companies like EA have access and ownership over these libraries of excellent games and then don't have enough uh, respect for themselves or for the the teams that they own to to preserve these these works of these works of art and these in these historical uh representations of 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 gaming in a simpler point in time in history when uh when you would go home and say I want to play mercenaries 2 because it's fun and nowadays, you don't say, I want to play Starfield because it's fun. You either play Starfield so that you can jump on the social media bandwagon or so you can clip it and make funny TikTok and YouTube videos about it or because you just you just want to see what all the hype is about so you can trash it. Nobody plays things for themselves anymore. It's all for the goddamn clicks. When did this world go to hell? I'd say around 2014. That's just me. Uh, roughly around the time Windows Phone started really pulling out of the market and failing. So... It seems about right. Uh, shout out to the iPhone 15 now announced. Anyway, the other thing I wanted to uh, announce, if we can stop being incoherent for a minute. Not announced, but the other thing I wanted to address is circling back to the are you British question. I'll be really honest with you guys. So I i don't do this enough on the show, so I just thought I'd put this at the front of the show. Um, the, I, I always try to do the I'm too cool, I don't care, I don't care about my... my uh, my my metrics and how the podcast is doing and all these things but it's a little bit of like i genuinely don't care because it's not like i'm trying to make a career out of this podcast but it's also a little bit of like a i do care and it would be a little bit of an ego blow if i found out the podcast is just dropping in listenership week over week like crazy so i uh, i did the thing i i usually don't do which is i avoid my emails i get from chartable.com which is a, a website that basically just tracks all these podcasts data and you can like break down like the the metrics of how your podcast is doing the demographics the geographics and it what you know impressions versus clicks versus listens versus downloads versus all these things so you can get a really good understanding of how your podcast is performing across all these different podcast podcast platforms and uh, I generally skip this stuff because it just makes me anxious to think about and look at but uh this week I forced myself to do it I'm like Jesse be be a man be a man child and a couple things I just want to say um, First of all, the podcast is doing fine. It is mostly just steadily grown little by little over the four years or so that I've done the show. Um, it definitely picked up a little bit there during the middle of the pandemic when like Xbox Series X had just come out and everyone was hyped for Halo Infinite and everyone was also kind of on lockdown because of the pandemic. And so it was just like this really sweet time where like everything, it's like, you know, everyone was buying every video game, every video game podcast and YouTube channels booming. You know, what were people doing other than Playing video games to pass the time. So there's a little bit of a time where the podcast spiked extra high for a while there, and then dropped off and kind of stabilized. And that's kind of where we've been for a long time. Is just like it is steadily growing. You know, not steadily. It's 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 growing incrementally. And uh, a lot of this is because I don't take the time to look at the the, the numbers and the and the charts and think about. What where I can improve on the show to make it more engaging and more fun for people to listen to. And more importantly, I don't take the time to really focus on who's listening and just try to encourage people to leave reviews. And even more important to that, just thank you for listening to the show. So I just want to take a second. I make fun of the British a lot on the show. I take the piss out of uh, the old Brits all the time. And that's not for any reason in particular. I have no beef with the British. It's just one of those weird things where for some reason Americans like to make fun of Canadians and British people. I assume the the, the English like to make fun of the, the Americans from time to time. I don't know. We probably have pretty funny sounding accents from your point of view. I don't know. But I, I always find it weird because it's like Americans don't make fun of Australians. Like coming from a very American perspective, like I've noticed, it's like people in the U.S., the sentiment tends to be like, You don't hate anyone from anywhere, you know, in particular. Well, let me not speak for all my fellow Americans, because there's a lot of bigotry in this country and a lot of uh, xenophobia and and all that stuff. Um, But Americans tend to be like, Canada, they're cool. They're kind of like us. The UK. Oh, they're kind of cool. They're like us. The Australia. They're cool. They're kind of like us. Lots of people that speak English. But for some reason, like if you if you try to be a little more nuanced with it, it just seems from my perspective always that the American Per, uh, uh, perception of other English speaking countries tends to go like the UK oh they're cool but also they're just silly little Brits and it's like Canada it's like oh they're cool but they're just a bunch of freaking hosers that eat maple syrup or whatever but for some reason Australia is kind of like the cool kid like in, in in the US you know you might try to do a weird Australian accent or make some stupid remark about like a boomerang or a, or a crocodile or some shit like that or or something like that but for the most part i feel like americans really like revere and respect the australians i also think americans don't know what the fuck new zealand is so that kind of gets left out of the conversation altogether i don't know it's it's just weird and i was wondering that because i'm looking at my the geographic breakdown of the audience of xbox on and you know naturally over half the audience is here in the us that makes sense probably a lot of english speakers xbox's biggest market is the us and uh yeah probably a bunch of other freaking americans that are moronic like me and think about Taco Bell every other thought of their life are probably inclined to listen to an Xbox podcast like this one, so that doesn't surprise me, but what did surprise me a little bit is the next biggest uh, geographic area for this podcast is is the, it says United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. 26% of the podcast demographic is, is, is are these British listeners, are these Irish, these, these British, these UKian as we of course call them properly, uh, but joking aside, I'm like, I don't know. It kind of blew my mind. I'm like, so, so I'm just on this podcast every week, making these stupid comments towards the Brits, these undeserved mean ass comments towards the Brits, and like, there's a couple hundred of these motherfuckers just going, yeah, he's making fun of us, can he is? But I'll keep listening because I do need to know what Phil Spencer said this week. I do. It's like, what, what are you guys doing, man? Like, just don't, don't just roll over and take it. Get to the comments, man. Tell me why. Tell me why I suck. Tell me about our healthcare system that's abysmal. Tell me about our 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 string of shit presidents. We haven't ever, we haven't. I've been alive for almost thirty years. We've never had a good president in my entire lifetime. Poke fun at me. Do something, man. I mean, God, for God's sake, it's two days past. But talk about 9-11. Do something. Don't just sit there. And this is this is why I make fun of the, you British people. You just sit there. You're like the freaking the redcoats. You just you stand there and people make funny faces and they poke at you and you don't do nothing. You don't do nothing. And I need you. To, to man up, push out your chest a little bit and talk some smack about high fructose corn syrup. For the love of God, British people, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for creating 26% of this audience that I'm grateful for. But for the love of God, stand up for yourselves. If you had that mentality in the 1700s and the 1800s, maybe you wouldn't have lost to us so much. That's all I'm saying. I love you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And uh, also, this is just to encourage people. Um, I, I'd appreciate just some more comments, uh, or sorry, not comments, reviews. Uh, because as I look at the podcast and see that it is growing, which is great. It's just growing very slowly. And I would like to see it, you know, spread a little faster if possible. I know it's kind of like a, a selfish ask. And I, I mean, I mean that in the most like, um, unentitled way possible but if you if you uh, have the time and the inclination to do so i'd really appreciate um some reviews for the podcast you know apple itunes the most important place to get your reviews that's another thing um like over i saw one of the things that shows podcast players over half the people that listen to this podcast listen on apple podcast services we're riffing on fucking Apple this all the time. We're making fun of the thing. We've got the Samsung phone or the, the Microsoft phone that does the bendy-foldy thing, like all this stuff. And you guys are just like, I'm British and I'll have an iPhone and he's making fun of me, but I like this podcast I do. It's like, come on, guys, stand up, poke some fun at me. You got a new iPhone 15 this week. It looks cool. Talk some smack, please, for love of God. But uh, yeah, just the, that was a long roundabout way of, of, I guess, saying two things. One, I'm sorry, British people. Thank you for your support. And two, um, if you have the, the ability to do so, really appreciate some reviews um, on iTunes and on podcast players. And, and remember, as always, specifically five-star reviews because anything less than that is not good for the show. And I don't want honest feedback. I just want my numbers to get boosted so I can get famous, baby. I'm going to get a NordVPN VPN ad read on this podcast one day and you might be able to say hey i helped make that happen because i gave a five star review on a podcast i genuinely think is only three and a half stars so it's not about honesty it's just about ego boosting and opportunity and just making me feel a little bit better about myself so won't you won't you help me feel better about myself thank you so much and uh if you can't send sarcasm that's your problem i've had that comment before where someone's like wow this guy's a real asshole it's like yes but also sarcasm so fuck you um, thank you all so much. Hope you're having a great, in, a great listen so far on the podcast. I promise we do talk about Xbox eventually. And uh, with that said, let's move on to the stories of mild amusement, the updates, the kind of introductory stories. This is like the amouche bouge, the appetizers, the the lounge cocktails before we get into the entrees, okay? So calm down. Don't burn your freaking tongue on the soup because I promise you the Flaming Young is so good you don't want to burn your palate over it. So let's start off with some small ones here, beginning with Forza Motorsport. Speaking of racing games, um, this isn't actually... From a news outlet or anything, this is just uh, me wanting to mention something. Um, Lots of previews for the upcoming Forza Motorsport have been going out over the past few days. I'm sure you've noticed that your favorite YouTubers, influencers, Xbox podcasters have probably been talking about, Hey, I played blah, blah, blah hours of Forza Motorsport, and the game is pretty cool. Here are my impressions. So you may have seen some articles, videos, podcasts like that over the past few days. Yeah, it's because Xbox sent the game out to a bunch of people, and they have played it, and impressions are out there in the wild and so i just wanted to kind of bring attention to that because that is the next and last huge xbox first party release of 2023 so even though we're still all drinking the freaking starfield kool-aid it is worth mentioning that's that's forza exists and it's a big deal so uh yeah apparently people seem pretty hyped on it so far uh people are enjoying the in-game currency system the xp system the improved uh ai for the Drivatars, although I don't think they call them Drivatars anymore, which is kind of sad. Um, but anyway, people seem to be pretty hyped on it. There's a bunch of different performance modes. Uh, whether you want 60 FPS 4K on Xbox Series X or 30 30 FPS uh, 1080p on the Xbox Series S, you can even get ray tracing on Series X. So there's a lot of good ways to mix and match your visual style of the game. And it just seems like the game is uh, is pretty much a, a big old love letter to racing fans, which is no surprise. Forza is widely considered to be well, for a long time, the best. But nowadays, I, I guess just one of the best sim racing games. It's a very crowded genre, especially in the PC space. So I don't I don't know where Forza stands on the echelon. But back in the day when it used to mostly just be Forza versus Gran Turismo, uh, Forza was considered kind of to be the king. And I don't know. I'm kind of like pretty excited for this game. I think I'm only like as hyped as I am because uh, Sony did that Gran Turismo movie a couple weeks ago. And I, I went to the theaters to watch it. And I was, like, really surprised by how great it was. Like, I expected it to be, like, okay or dumb fun. But, like, I actually thought the movie was, like, very, very, very good. And I walked out of the theater going, damn, I kind of want to play Gran Turismo now. But then realizing, nah, I'd rather play Forza. But also realizing... Nah, I just want to wait for the new Forza that comes out in a couple weeks or a month or whatever. So October 10th, it's coming soon, less than a month away, and I'm in kind of the perfect mood to jump into this. Forza Motorsport, as much as I appreciate these games, I'm not the uh, fine-tuning, high-fidelity car nerd um, kind of gamer. I'm more of the kind of arcade style, I want to go fast, you know, like, give me my, I I like licensed cars, don't get me wrong, like, give me a freaking, my Subaru BRZ, or my Honda CRX, or whatever the hell, let me just be my little, get my little rice racer, and, and tear it up around Australia, or wherever the hell we are in the latest Forza game, um, I love that shit, but, um, but I just, I, when it comes to Forza Motorsport, I haven't really gotten into one of these games since, uh, Motorsport 5, which was the launch Forza game for the Xbox One, so that was released in, the end of 2013. That's the last one I've played extensively. So it's been a full 10 years since I've really sunk my teeth into Forza. I did play a little bit of Motorsport 6 on through Game Pass eventually, and I, I never played Forza Motorsport 7. So, or maybe it was the other way around. Maybe I skipped 6 and played a little bit of 7. I don't actually remember. Um, but not enough to really say I've played the game. So it's been pretty much a clean 10 years since I've really gotten into a Forza Motorsports game. While I've played every Horizon game there is, Motorsport you know we've we've uh, we've been away for a minute so i'm very excited to see this and and the thing that has me excited is you know as the name suggests it's not forza motorsport 8 it's just forza motorsports so this is very much sticking true at least so far to the format that was sup- supposed to apply to Halo Infinite but is certainly not going to stick anymore which is this is just forza motorsports for the xbox series generation this is not the eighth and we'll have the ninth one out in two years or three years this is here's forza motorsports it's a giant platform we're going to continue to update it over time with tracks and cars and features and events and all sorts of things that are going to get players excited but this is the place to play forza on the latest hardware in the xbox ecosystem essentially for the generation that's kind of the plan here and i i really look forward to that because i really appreciate that that approach and i actually think that makes just so much sense for Game Pass and for Xbox going into the future. this I, I said this a lot leading up to Halo Infinite's launch, and I, honestly, I just think this is kind of the way to do it. I know to a lot of people this might be really controversial, but I think this is a really cost-effective way for Xbox to support Game Pass, while also a really great way to keep fans of the series engaged. Like, what if for the Xbox series generation, you don't get Gears of War 6, 7, and 8? You just get Gears of War 6, And you don't get Halo Infinite, and then Halo Finite, and then Halo Unite, you know, Halo 6, 7, and 8. You just get Halo Infinite. And you don't get Forza Motorsport 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. You just get Forza Motorsport. And the idea is that you don't have to have your developers spend all this time and money building a from-the-ground-up sequel to the last game every two to four years. Rather, you just build one platform and continue to support it with, in the case of Forza, Cars, tracks, in-game seasonal events. In the case of Halo, new campaigns, new multiplayer maps, new seasonal content. In the case of Gears of War, same thing. Additional campaigns, new multiplayer maps, new in-game events, things like that. And it's a great way to justify Game Pass because it's like, yeah, you stay subscribed to Game Pass because... It's not like you subscribe to Game Pass, play Halo Infinite, unsubscribe because you finished Halo Infinite. It's like you subscribe to Game Pass, then you stay subscribed to uh, Game Pass because Halo Infinite is going to continue to evolve and change and add content over 10 years. And it's going to be a lot more cost effective to continue to evolve a single platform as opposed to just making another Halo game and another Halo game and another Halo game. So if done right, I think that's actually kind of the best way for Xbox to handle their first party lineup. Into the future because it's all about Game Pass. And I think that's really, I just think that's a really effective way to do it for both cost and cutting down on development time and just kind of meeting players with additional content on a regular basis. I just, I don't know, to me, that just makes so much sense. And then when the next generation of Xbox comes out, the Xbox Series 12 or whatever it's called, that's when you do another Halo game, another Forza game, another Gears of War game because you can, again, here's all the new content all that but i guess that kind of got run amok anyway when xbox went on a shopping spree because it's like i don't know that that format really works for every bethesda game and every call you know you're not gonna do that with call of duty call of duty basically is it's like madden or fifa at this point you know it's just here's call of duty 2024 2025 2026 so maybe it doesn't work for everything but i liked that idea at least for the xbox game studios games i felt like it would work quite well for like sea of thieves and forza motorsports and halo but Whatever, uh, I don't know why I'm so hooked on that, I just really liked that idea at the time, and uh, it seems like at least Forza is gonna go for it, so unless Forza Motorsports comes out next month, and the previews were wrong, the game sucks ass, it's broken, it's shit, all, of, all the fans hate it, which is very possible because uh, video game players look for every excuse to hate everything and be miserable all the fucking time, uh, but unless that's what happens and the game just absolutely bombs, I, I think that is still the plan for Forza, which I think is a really smart move, so... Interested to see how that goes. Next up, uh, we got something from VGC here. Um, speaking of VGC, a British-based video game and media website. Look at that! I love the Brits. I love the Brits so much that I almost exclusively cite one of their media outlets because it's the only one. You know, VGC. Tagline: The BBC of video games. How do you guys like that? Nice. Very respectful. Very, uh, very appreciative of all you've done for us British people. Thank you for. Eating beans for your breakfast and thank you for VGC. I love you. Give me five stars, baby. Anyway, VGC writes, uh, talking about Epic Games here. Donald Mustard, uh, Epic Games chief creative officer and one of the driving forces behind the hugely successful Fortnite, has announced he's leaving the company. Mustard, who was also creative director of, of the Infinity Blade series and Shadow Complex, shout out to the Xbox Live Arcade back in the 360 era, uh, announced the news on his social media accounts this past Friday. The designer said that the Fortnite team was in the best hands and working on huge, new, jaw-dropping, amazing things. He said, "Quote: After an incredible adventure, I will be retiring from my role as CCO of at Epic Games this month. I have enjoyed nearly 25 years of the games industry, collaborating with some of the most talented people I've ever, um, uh, most talented people ever, and I'm so proud of what we've made together." From the ambitious advent rising to the start of *Chair*, uh, where we created *Undertow*, *Shadow Complex*, and *Infinity Blade*, uh, to the honor of our team becoming part of *Epic*—that was in 2008. Each new chapter allowed me to accomplish something new and original. I'm spe- I'm especially proud of the opportunity I've had to help create and shape *Fortnite*. Uh, end quote. Uh, an influential an influential not influencer, an influential former Marvel executive who also helped design the God of War's iconic protagonist Kratos, has been appointed by Epic Games as a the new chief creative officer. Charlie Wen has taken on the role previously held by Don Mustard and said the following quote, "I'm excited to share that I've embarked on a new adventure as chief creative officer of Epic Games," said Wen. Deeply grateful for everyone who has come alongside me thus far. The journey ahead promises to be truly epic. Ha 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 ha. I get it because he works for Epic. Um, So yeah, I don't really have much to say on this other than Don Mustard. He's one of those names in the games industry that's just, you know, for as long as I've known uh, or for as long as I've been following games related news very closely. He's just one of those names. You just hear it all the time, you know, so it's just one of those things where it's like, wow, he's leaving. I wonder what he's going to go do. So I'm very curious to see where he goes from here if he stays in gaming and if so where he where he wants to go because his his track record is with a wide variety of very not so related types of games and the guy's kind of made a name for himself where he can go anywhere and do anything and i think people will just kind of believe in him shadow complex a a widely beloved and regarded xbox 360 arcade game a metroidvania style indie Uh, and then of course chair went on to do the infinity blade series on ios i don't know if those games were ever on android i don't know i played them back when i was pretty um in into the apple ecosystem so i don't know but infinity blade was awesome i actually enjoyed those games one of the few mobile games i actually really liked and then of course fortnite where it's like you make it to fortnite you don't you don't got to work a day in your life after that you just do fortnite for a couple years buy three yachts and to- and, and, and four mansions you know put some freaking you know, put some put put, you know, put some put some friggin' life insurance policies on everyone's names and and, and cash out, man. Call it a day. So I don't, I don't know, like so. I just wanted to put that out there. Notable person in the industry, big deal. He's leaving. Very curious to see where this guy goes. And uh, shout out to Mister Mustard. Very fun name, Donald Mustard. One of the funnest names in in gaming, I would say. And his initials are DM, which is also very fun. So, all right. Next up. Events company Readpop has parted ways with E3 organizer ESA following a last-minute cancellation of this year's E3 event. Following earlier reports, the ESA has also confirmed it will not hold E3 at the LA Convention Center next year. Although it's claimed it has not outright canceled plans for a 2024 event. According to gamesindustry.biz, the trade body is working on a complete reinvention of E3 for 2025. Although, whatever. That was a plan last year, that was a plan this year. E3's dead, let's be honest. E3 was due for a return the first for its first in-person event show for four years this summer as part of a multi-year deal, year deal with PAX organizer ReadPop. However, after months of buildup and uncertainty, the show was canceled in March. So, just further proof that E3 is dead. I know they're not going to let it go. They're going to keep belaboring the point. As someone who, you know, one of my big highlights each and every summer was, I don't know, I feel like, Throughout middle school and high school, like, the big highlights, like, oh, it's summertime, that means we're gonna get E3, we're gonna get an Apple event, I'm excited, Um, man, especially E3, man, I, like, I've, I've watched every E3 since I was, like, nine years old, like, E3, I've been, I've been following E3 so closely from such a young age to the point where it's just, like, why, why do you even care about this, but, like, man, watching, watching E3 back on G4 TV back in the day, like, nothing like it, it's really sad to see the complete end of that, that era, but, Man, I mean, like, they got to let it go. It's not going to happen. There's so many conventions out there. Jeff Keighley's dominated these these game show, these these game award-type showcases between the actual game awards and Summer Game Fest and and uh, opening that live at Gamescom and all that stuff. That it's like, there's just no room for it. On top of that, you know, Nintendo kind of wrote the book many years before E3 even failed or, or ended really with uh, Nintendo Directs where it's just like, you know, if you're Nintendo, if you're Xbox, if you're Sony, and you know, you even see companies like Ubisoft and stuff do it. It's like, why wouldn't you just control the messaging yourself and do your own event? You don't have to pay all this money. People pay so much money to be at E3. These companies pay so much money to fly out all this talent and to build these these demos of these games to showcase to people, and it just takes so much time. It takes so much money. It takes so much moving of resources. It's such a it's such a time and money sink. That's like. I understand we all love E3, but it's it doesn't make economic sense for the most part in today's world where, you know, Nintendo has followed Apple's trend and in years since we've seen basically everyone else fall suit where it's like just do your little digital direct thing, man. You don't you don't have to do this weird like this industry this specific organization sets the date and then everyone has to bend to their will. Like it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense. So, I don't see how we're going to see people go back the way I view it is like trying to get all the big players in gaming to come back and do E3 the way we know E3 is kind of equivalent to what we see in like the workforce of like trying to get all these office jobs that could easily be done from home trying to get these people to come back to the office to work it's like Bro, you, you can't, you cannot take it back once you've, once you've gone to this place. It's just, it is what it is. I know there's some companies holding on to dear, dear life for, we'll do hybrid schedules. It's not as effective. We need to justify these leases that we can't get out of. We're fucking stuck in these, in these, in these buildings that we've leased out for a hundred years. It's like, boo fucking who, man? Like you're not, you're not going to get the whole workforce to come back to the office. And this is the same kind of logic. It's like, you're not going to get Sony back um if you if you're going to get anyone back it's Xbox because they're just always here to play game play ball with everyone which is like kind of cool kind of like i think to their detriment um because i think they show up to too many of these events to be quite frank but like i don't know man you're just why would E3 EA was already out you know they were just doing their own thing across the street from E3 Sony was already out that last year Nintendo's been gone for a while it's like you're not you're not getting these guys back so stop it i love E3 But E3 is dead. It's over. E3 is not happening, so. All right, and finally, I just, uh, ooh, Phil Spencer. Our boy, Phil Spencer, wants to talk about Elder Scrolls VI. Ooh, we got a lot of Starfield to talk about today, but before we do, let's wet your palates with, wet your appetites with uh, a little Elder Scrolls VI information where... From VGC, Microsoft's head of gaming, Phil Spencer, the CEO of gaming, has addressed a subject of whether or not Elder Scrolls 6 will be an Xbox exclusive, something that has been brought up time and time again since the acquisition of Bethesda. In an interview with Bloomberg this week, Phil Spencer uh, was asked whether Elder Scrolls 6 will be an exclusive and how Microsoft decides whether or not it's on the right track with its release strategy. Uh, He said, quote, We look at it on a case-by-case basis with the games that we build. We want to make sure that our games are available in so many different places, on our Xbox consoles, on PC, and also via cloud. These games can come to almost any web-enabled device. We're looking at millions and millions of players who have access to Starfield on Xbox and other Xbox Game Studios games. It's really about giving players choice in how they want to play or build their library of games. So this is Phil Spencer doing PR talk. He is saying a lot of things and he is saying absolutely nothing. And that's not criticism of Phil Spencer. That is just him doing his job very well. That's what that is right there. So he has said absolutely nothing. We are no closer to having an answer on this, but there is where Phil Spencer uh, stands as far as making a decision right now, because honest to God, this is a decision that won't be made probably for many more years. You know, we say Elder Scrolls 6 is a game we might not see for five, six years or something like that. So, I don't know, man. I mean, best case scenario, we get Elder Scrolls 6 in like four years because you got to remember some of what took Starfield so much longer is they built Creation Engine 2. So, they built a new engine in that time between Fallout 4 and Starfield. They also built the first entry in a brand new... um, a brand new IP, so this is the first time you've done Starfield, you gotta do everything from scratch. Making a sequel from Fallout 3 to Fallout 4 is much more like updating Fallout, bringing forward some ideas and some artistic in in, in intuitiveness and just kind of like making the new version of Fallout. It's not to say it's like Control-C, control Control-V uh, control by any stretch of the imagination, because it's not, but it's just to say it takes more time to build a from-the-ground-up brand new IP on a brand new engine than it takes to just make the next sequel in a, in, in a franchise, you know? So even though Elder Scrolls 6 will be the first Elder Scrolls in Creation Engine 2, even though Elder Scrolls 6 will be the first Elder Scrolls game to be made natively for modern hardware and not the Xbox 360, um, it, it, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see if they could make Elder Scrolls 6 in about one or two years less than the time it took to make Starfield. So maybe a five, six year development cycle, I think. But with that said, that, that gives us Another three years, really, of yeah, maybe three years or so of Xbox having time to just kind of figure out how they want to address this. Because we, they've said in the past, we'll continue to honor um, platforms where you know sequels being available on platforms where those games have existed previously. You know, Um, and that was a lot about Elder Scrolls Online and Fallout seventy six. But also, it's like a lot of people interpreted that as saying like you know, Oblivion. Skyrim fall three fall four. These are games that were available on PlayStation. So we suspect they'll be available on PlayStation five or six or whatever. At the time that those new games come out, um, they haven't confirmed that. And they're still not locking, you know, paying themselves in the corner. A lot of this right now, I think is about seeing how Starfield does long-term not being on PlayStation. And I think so far, and we'll get into it a little later in the story in the news. Um, they're very pleased with how Starfield is doing without PlayStation. Um, so, I, I don't know. My my guess is that Xbox is going to want to make this game an exclusive. They're going to want to keep it from PlayStation. But, again, it's just, you know, and after everything with the freaking CMA and the all, all, the, all the legal proceedings over Activision, we're just going to have to see how Xbox wants to handle this because there's a lot of ire and backlash they could receive as a result of making the next Elder Scrolls game block out PlayStation players. But at the same time, I think it would be in their best interest to do exactly that. So... We will have to see, but Phil Spencer has said a whole lot of nothing here. Alright, that's it for all of our small news stories of the week. You guys, let's move on. We'll get to the main news in a little bit, but first, before I can do that, we, we always gotta take a quick break here and talk about the games we've been playing of the week, relishing that a little bit, and then we get into the news. But before I can even tell you about what I've been playing this week, I gotta tell you about what I've been eating, and you guys, I bet I got one that you weren't expecting. It is fast food, so calm down. But, um, Chick-fil-A. That's right, I know, I... I I've reached a new arc in my relationship with Chick-fil-A as of recent because I'm from Georgia, home home of Chick-fil-A. So I'm very much familiar with Chick-fil-A. I very much grew up eating Chick-fil-A religiously it is, a, is a huge part of my upbringing, and I love Chick-fil-A dearly for that, or I did at least as a youth. Um, but I, I swear, I, I chick fil a the fuck out of myself in high school especially, and then a little bit in college as well. And so I kind of reached a couple of years where I, I really hated Chick-fil-A. And I think that bled into kind of the early years of Xbox On, where I was like, I'm Chick-fil-A'd out. And I used to talk mad smack about Chick-fil-A. It wasn't my thing. It's I, I don't get it. It's overrated. But if I'm being honest, I think enough time has passed that I've reached a new arc in my relationship with Chick-fil-A, where... I don't hate it, I have no ire or, or, or rage towards the existence of Chick-fil-A, but I still don't love it the way I used to when I was younger, I'm at a very healthy point in my life with where I stand on Chick-fil-A, it is good, it's pretty good, and every once in a blue moon, I'm more than happy to have it, but is it the best fast food, no, is it my go-to fast food, no, do I need to eat it once a week or once a month or whatever, absolutely not, so... I think I've reached a happy place. I, honestly, I'd like to get to this place in my life with Taco Bell because even though I don't eat Taco Bell every week, I would love to eat Taco Bell every week. I would love to eat Taco Bell multiple times a week if I could. If I could justify it, if, if science could prove that eating Taco Bell is healthy, it's objectively healthy to eat chicken crunch wrap Supremes and chicken Chalupa Supremes and whatever the hell their latest gimmick of the week is, if, if they could, if all signs pointed to you will live forever if you eat this food, I would eat Taco Bell so much It's insane, but... Chick-fil-A, it's not very hard for me to be like, I don't need that. I'll have Chick-fil-A in like, you know, three months. You know, have Chick-fil-A maybe, maybe three or four times in a whole year. Maybe. So this past weekend, I had th- the in for some Chick-fil-A. And, of course, my girlfriend is a a little more into Chick-fil-A than I am, so, you know, she's very much like, ooh, you actually wanna go to Chick-fil-A this time? It's not like I want it, and you have to, you have to just deal with that. It's like, we're both kinda in the mood for Chick-fil-A, so we had to take advantage of this opportunity and actually go to the Chick-fil-A on a Saturday, no less. And uh, I, I I went there and I noticed they got a new item on the menu. Ooh, they got a new menu item. So this is especially interesting with Chick Fil A because Taco Bell's you know Taco Bell's the whole marketing system is just uh, we have a new item every two weeks. Come back, you know that's why you come to Taco Bell's to try the new item of the week. But Chick Fil A is very different. They're very In and Out Burger about their menu, where it's like our menu is pretty much. Small, slim, straightforward, directly to the point, because we do a few things very, very well, rather than a bunch of things to varying degrees of good and bad. And I respect that. I actually genuinely appreciate that about Chick-fil-A, although their menu has expanded quite a bit over the years. Chick-fil-A today versus when I was a kid is a much bigger menu, but nonetheless, relative to other fast food companies, Chick-fil-A still has a pretty lean menu. And that's not just because chicken's very lean, you boys and girls. It's because it's because, God damn it, they they are obsessed with making high quality food for for all the boys and girls of of, uh, of the South. Well, I guess actually Chick-fil-A is everywhere now, so everywhere. Anyway, the new item, without teasing further, is a um, it is a chicken sandwich, classic chicken sandwich, chicken, pickles, bun. But they th- actually does it have pickles. Yes, it does have pickles. Um, the new sandwich has pimento cheese and honey on it so that's kind of the new kick here okay you get the, the southern style pimento cheese a little bit of honey you get that that savory sweet kind of twist on it and uh i'm I very much like i feel like this is going to be good chick-fil-a usually won't put something new on their menu unless they are confident it's a good thing it's like a few years back when they added mac and cheese on the menu it's like oh wow they're doing mac and cheese now and guess what chick-fil-a mac and cheese it's pretty it's not amazing but it's pretty pretty solid it's pretty good for fast food mac and cheese so i'm very much into this idea i want to try the sandwich and my takeaway after ordering and having the sandwich is it is pretty good. It's a really good flavor profile. I like it. The honey complements the pimento cheese well. It's not a distinct honey and a distinct pimento cheese flavor. It is a beautiful uh, relationship between pimento cheese and honey. And you add that onto the the, the crispy chicken sandwich uh, with with the with the soft bun, the soft buttery bun, and the crunchy crispy fresh pickles. It's a very very good southern concoction that will make any boy slap his knee and go and go wailing on home to his mama. It's it's good shit. But I will say, while the flavor profile is really good, and if you're someone who likes pimento cheese, I would highly recommend this, I must also criticize the sandwich, because it's not as good as I assumed, I think I gave Chick-fil-A too much credit and just assumed this would be very good, but my takeaway is it's pretty good, but I don't know if I need to have it again, and that's because of one thing in particular, while the flavor profile was really good on this sandwich, the texture fucking threw me off, because that cheese sauce on this sandwich is not just pimento cheese with honey. It's like pimento cheese with honey and some other kind of cheese sauce. What it looks like, and I, I'm not sure if this is what it is, but what it looks like is they take a little bit of their, cheese, their their mac and cheese sauce, mix that with pimento cheese, and then mix that with honey, and then put that on the sandwich. And that's fine for flavor purposes. It does kind of water down the, the pimento flavor a bit, but it's it's good. It's it's rich, it's cheesy, it's it's creamy, it's good. It's 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 overall a pleasant flavor. The problem with it is. It's almost like they take the cheese sauce of mac and cheese before you bake mac and cheese and put it at room temp on the sandwich. And what's really weird about that is, like a lot of mac and cheeses, you got some you got some shredded cheese in there. So this is like a pimento cheese, which is like a cheese spread, but then it's also got these random ass shavings, like these this shredded cheese shavings on top. And I feel like that stuff needs to be – if you're going to put something like that in there, you got to cook it. You got to bake it. You got to warm it up so it melts and gets gooey. But even though the flavor was really good, I was left with this sandwich where I was getting like these unmelted chunks and shreds of like what looked like shredded string cheese. And that is not a texture I want butted up against this otherwise really excellent chicken sandwich. So I got to say – serious points off for that alone. I think it messes up with the texture, even though it's not necessarily a hot and cold mixture, it comes off as kind of like a, you're eating cold cheese sauce with a hot chicken patty. And again, the cheese sauce was pretty much warmish room temp kind of range, but just having that shredded cheese in there felt very much like I'm eating the cheese that should go on my salad and not the cheese that should go on my chicken sandwich and so for that i gotta knock serious points it's just a texture thing it's weird i didn't love that about it but if you are like most people and you're just there for the flavor and as long as it tastes good you don't get a shit what it feels like in your mouth i would say this sandwich pretty dang good it's definitely worth a one go like it's it's definitely worth trying to say you had it just to get it the, the curiosity out of your mind and get the experience under your belt but it's not like stop everything you're doing Run over to Chick-fil-A. You got to try this pimento cheese and honey sandwich. It's it's not that good, but it's, it's pretty solid. So shout out to Chick-fil-A. New menu item. I don't know if it's temporary. I don't know if it's permanent. I'm so used to Taco Bell that when I saw it on the menu, I was like, Oh my God, I, I, J- 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 Jolina, get in line quick. We got to order this thing before before they take it off the menu because that, that's Taco Bell. You could you could get a notification from your Taco Bell app on your phone. It'll be like, try the new chicken loaded, breaded Gordon Ramsay quesadito. And you'll be like, oh, that looks pretty good. It's got like 1,000 calories and 2,000% sodium. I guess I'll try one. And you are like mobile order, and then you'll drive, get in your car and drive down to Taco Bell two miles down the road. And by the time you made it to the drive-thru to tell them your mobile order name, they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. We actually took that off the menu. Would you like the grilled cheese burrito? You know, it's like, that's basically Taco Bell. So I don't know how long this is last on Chick-fil-A's menu. I don't know if it's a permanent fixture. I remember when they did. I remember when they introduced the um, grilled chicken on the menu. I thought that was a limited time thing and that's still there. So my assumption is this is here to stay. But the Taco Bell fan in me is like, guys, stop listening to the podcast. Go run to Chick-fil-A. You got to get this thing before it's gone. So I don't know. Mountain Dew and Taco Bell have trained me to act rash on uh, limited edition food. Alright, that's it for what I've been eating, so guys, let's jump on over into the what I've been playing this week, to which I gotta say, to no one's surprise, I have been playing Starfield. Yeah, I'm still really into Starfield, guys. Um, So, I guess, we talked about a lot last week, I don't really know what I need to do about this game, I don't know if maybe we need to do some kind of, like, spoiler cast in a couple weeks, once a lot of people have played extensively through the game i don't know maybe we should have like kronky on the show or something because i know he's loving the hell out of starfield Maybe you can have maybe like a a conversation about starfield i have no idea how we need to tackle this but in the meantime i'm just going to chat a little more broadly about my experience with starfield and how i've enjoyed it so far um since we last talked last week i was like i played 22 hours of starfield well this week i have played about i'm at the 30 35 hour mark or so haven't had as much time to play this week as i'd like to i'm really kicking myself i've had to work this saturday now i gotta work this saturday so i i'm working this saturday again um and it's just you know it's a lot of that like oh i gotta celebrate my anniversary or something something adult like like that so i just haven't had as much time to play the game as i'd really like to um but that's that's okay the game will be there for a long time after these events have come and passed so i'm not not very worried about it it's just um I It's it's one of those rare games where I feel that pressure to go play it as soon as I can, because it's just so good, I don't want to lose this feeling of how much I'm enjoying this game. And I think the best way I've seen it summed up, or the best way to sum it up, uh, David Jaffe, uh, the original creator of the God of War games, he used to work for PlayStation, um he, he, he does, like, his own YouTube channel now. And I, I watch him from time to time. I find him to be really insightful and really fun to watch, really interesting guy. Um, but I was watching his video, one of his videos. He, he's obsessed with Starfield right now, too, and he's been doing a lot of videos about it. And I was watching one of his videos about Starfield, and he was talking to one of his... He's basically talking about why he thinks it's actually his favorite single-player game ever made, which I think is a really bold statement. Uh, I don't know that I would say I like it that much, but I, I definitely could understand why someone would say this is their favorite single-player game they've ever played. Uh, but he was he, he was trying to ex- like put into words why he loved this game so much, and he said something that I thought was so poignant in this world where our brains are so freaking, like, ADHD, like, like just ridden from this social media adult workforce world of just, like... Your attention needs to be here. No, it needs to be here. Now it needs to be here. Now it needs to be here. Watch the Hulu ad. Watch the Hulu show. Now check your phone. What's on Twitter? Wait, who's texting you? What's in your email inbox? Now you're at work. You gotta do this task. You gotta do this task. Go to the, go to the bathroom and play on your phone for five minutes. Once you not you get away from this? It's like everything's always trying to pull you in a million different directions. And I know I'm not the only one when I say, you know that feeling where it's like a Saturday afternoon and it's like your scheduled regimented man-child video game time and you're playing whatever game you're playing and then you'll just randomly get sidetracked 20 minutes into playing a game, you press pause, and it's like, oh, what do you know? 13 minutes just went by, and I'm just scrolling freaking Instagram for no reason. So it's one of those games where, um, and this is what David Jaffe said, and this is why this resonated with me so much. With that kind of thought in mind, he described his experience with Starfield as one of those games where you don't get bored, and there's no outside force influencing you to play or to finish it. It's just the game itself never gets stale, and... And you never have to push yourself to want to see the game through, whether it's a uh, whether it's a main quest you're doing or a faction quest or just some kind of random adventure that you've embarked upon. Whatever you're doing in the game, it's one of those games where you never get bored and outside influences start to pull you in. Now, obviously, that's a very personal, subjective experience with the game, but that is exactly the experience I have also had with Starfield and why I wanted to pull that out and quote, kind of paraphrase it here. Because that is what I find so captivating about this game. I will, on any given Saturday, you know, like, think about, I don't know, a game I played recently, right? I played um, Homefront the Revolution. I know it's a terrible example because it's a game that most people consider to be terrible, whatever. I actually liked Homefront the Revolution a lot. I played it for 25 hours. I beat the game. I beat all the DLC and thought it was a really fun game. Very flawed, very buggy, very rough around the edges. But I thought it was a very fun game that I'm glad I played. Really enjoyed my 25 hours with the game. Here's the thing is, even though I really liked Homefront the Revolution when I, when I beat that game a couple weeks or a month ago, right? Like most games, I'd play the game for an hour, I'd play the game for two hours, whatever. And then I'd be like, listen to a podcast while I play. And then I'd be like, okay, let me pause the podcast real quick. I want to listen to this cutscene. Okay, cutscene's over. Let me go back to my phone and press resume on my podcast. Actually, oh, look, there's a oh, there's a notification. Oh, Dunky uploaded a new video. Okay, let me watch that new video game, Dunky video on YouTube. Hi, that was pretty funny. Let me read the comments. Okay, that was pretty good. Okay, now I'm just on Twitter. What am I even doing? I'm just on Twitter. And then I just keep getting sh- sidetracked. And so, this is one of those games, very rare, where I don't have that experience. This is also one of those games where it's like, again, um, using Homefront the Revolution as the example. I really enjoyed Homefront. I really had no problem finishing it. It was one of those games where I had no... I had no doubt that I would see it through the end, but there were times at like this point maybe around the midpoint of the game or during some of the DLC after the main campaign where I was like I'm kind of pushing myself to get through this portion of the game or this specific DLC or this this part of the game just because I want to see it through the end. I want to get the checklist off my off my backlog. I want to say that I saw it through the end. And I'm kind of it a little bit i'm kind of pushing myself it's not that i don't like the game it's not that when all is said and done i'll regret having played it it's just that sometimes there are there are moments or times when you're playing a game where it's like i'm just trying to get myself over the hump this is a big reason why i don't watch tvs because i always feel this way with tv god i finally watched the the most recent season of stranger things a couple months ago and that is what the entire thing felt like like i like stranger things it's fine i think it's pretty good um but um, Like, oh my God, the entire fourth season, I think it was fourth, right? A season of Stranger Things, like trying to get through that was like, it's good, I I acknowledge it's good, it's good entertainment, but like every episode felt like a chore. It felt like I'm obligated to get through this one hour long episode of Stranger Things. And when I'm done with it, I'm like, thank God that's over. Or like, oh, that was cool. I enjoyed that, but I'm glad it's over. That kind of feeling, I never feel that in Starfield. And that's the point I want to make. Starfield is one of those games where, I'm like, ah, I, I got to find a stopping point because I need to go to bed. Fuck. And then it's like you finally stop like two stopping points after the stopping point where you said you'd get off and go to bed. It's that game where I'm at work and I'm like randomly thinking about Starfield. I'm like, I really want to go home and play Starfield. Or like I'm thinking about the thing I did last night in Starfield and that's following me into my day-to-day life. Like I'm, I'm sitting here in traffic. Or I'm sitting here at my desk doing this thing, typing this email. I don't give a shit about any of this. I'm thinking about Starfield. Oh, that was that was crazy. Oh, man. Remember that moment where like and I'm and I'm having those thoughts and very, very rarely does a game make me feel that. And to me, if you're having that kind of sensation with the game, doesn't matter what you think about the space travel in the game. Doesn't matter if it runs at 30 FPS or 60 FPS. Doesn't matter if Xbox paid for the game or if it's on PlayStation or not. Doesn't matter if the character models are beautiful or not doesn't matter if it's a huge revolution compared to what Skyrim was or Fallout 4 was. doesn't matter. If a game makes you feel that sensation when you play it, you are playing a very special game. And that can be a very different game for every single person. Everyone has different tastes and different likes. But that is a feeling I get when I play Starfield. And the last time I felt that feeling while playing a game for the first time was two years ago when Halo Infinite came out. Or actually, no, that's not true. It was last year when Sonic... Uh, Sonic uh, Sonic Frontiers came out. And then before that, it was Halo Infinite. But I play a lot of games. I play new games all the time. I'm playing games all year, every single year. I play way more games than the average person. Everyone listening to this podcast probably falls in that category too. If you're listening to a podcast about Xbox, if you're into video games enough that you consume YouTube videos and podcasts about video games, chances are you play a lot more video games than the average person does. And This is the one game so far this year that has got me like that. Like, I'm really hyped for Alan Wake 2. I keep saying and thinking that Alan Wake 2 is going to be my favorite game this year when when it finally comes out in October. But, man, I played Alan Wake 1 for the very first time just this past summer, and I loved it, by the way. I think Alan Wake is phenomenal. I'm so glad I finally played it. Really wish I got to it sooner. Great game. Alan Wake definitely had moments of, I'm just trying to make it through this portion, or I just want to see the game through to the end. Uh, I gotta force myself to play Alan Wake, otherwise I won't get back to it. It had moments like that, no doubt. And that's a much smaller, shorter, easier game to finish than Starfield. But Starfield so far, I'm 35 hours in. You know what I've done in 35 hours? i created a character for an hour. i played the main quest for 20 hours. I um, surveyed and explored an entire planet of Eridani 2 all by myself for like 10 hours straight. It was ridiculous. It was mind-numbing, but it was also very fun and relaxing and therapeutic. And then I started the UC Vanguard questline, and now I'm in the middle of that, and I'm loving it. I mean, I'm actually enjoying it just as much as the main campaign. I've also replayed some of the main campaign a little bit because I I did New Game Plus. So I'm going through some of that again, although no spoilers on uh, what all happens or any of that because I'm not spoiling anything in this game. So I've done a lot in 35 hours, a lot of different things, and... This is the first time I've played one of those you could put 700 hours in this game and never get bored kind of games. This is the first time I've played one of those big, open, do-what-you-want, play-how-you-want open-world games where I don't feel overwhelmed. And I don't feel like the game is bombarding me with so much choice and so much opportunity that I'm paralyzed and I just want to walk away from the game and not play it at all. Usually that's how I feel with these games, but Starfield, for whatever reason, does not make me feel that way. It is... I think it's... It's what I've always wanted to like about Fallout. It's what I finally finally really fell in love with with Skyrim last year or two years ago when I finally played it for the first time through um, properly. Um, but amplified by 100% more. Because Starfield is everything that's great about Fallout. It's everything that's great about Elder Scrolls. Maybe there are some things you might like about those other ones more than this. Or you might like more about Starfield more than those other ones. I don't care. At its core, it is a Bethesda Game Studios game. If, if you like Skyrim, you'll like Starfield. If you like Starfield, you'll like Fallout. It's very much that kind of thing. But what really puts it over the edge for Starfield is I'm a big space sci-fi nerd little guy. I grew up obsessed with like Buzz Lightyear and outer space and all that kind of crazy shit. I love the aesthetic. I love the aspirational, inspirational part of it all. I love fucking Epcot more than anything. I think about Epcot or Illuminations, Reflections of Earth over at Walt Disney World. And I'll just start fucking sobbing and getting all teary-eyed. I love all of it. I love the aesthetic of space. I love the the aspirational idea of just mankind and our, and our obligation to ourselves and to humanity to ask the questions, try to figure out why we're here, what's out there, try to explain something greater than just our own, you know, our own small myopic understanding of the world based on what we see living on the surface of the Earth. And... Then you can, like, kind of sci-fi it up and gamify it by adding the lasers and the cool space suits and the cool, like, guns and the aliens and all the other shit. And when you start to put all that stuff in, it's like, that's the fucking seasoning going into the, you know, it's like you got you got the delicious steak. And that's, like, just the the very notion of space travel and exploring the stars. And then you start to really season it up with the guns and the aliens and the, and the spaceships and the space combat and all the cool storytelling and the awesome lore building. And, oh, my God. What you're left with is the best meal you've ever had. And that's kind of where I am with Starfield. It's, I mean, that's why I love Halo, right? Is because it's like all of that stuff. It's all that aesthetic. It's all of that setting. It's all of that kind of storytelling bundled up into, in my opinion, the best first-person shooter out there. And now Starfield is like, well, what if we do that again? But now it's the big open-world Western RPG. This is what I've always needed. This is like I've always wanted to really appreciate RPGs more than I have. Um, and, and Starfield is, I don't think this is, I don't, I don't think this is like really a crazy thing to say, just because even though I've played a fair amount of RPGs, I've never really loved a fair amount of RPGs. I don't think it's crazy to say that Starfield is probably my favorite role playing game I've ever played 35 hours in. And I know it's like, oh, you've only put 35 hours in. You could easily put a hundred hours into this game and still be developing your thoughts. And that's fine. And I'm just talking about where I feel right now at 35 hours in at two weeks in 35 hours in. I feel like this is probably the best role-playing game I've ever played. Just because the quality of the... It's, it's only been 35 hours in a game where I'll probably put well over 200 hours into it when all is said and done. But at 35 hours in, I am smitten with this game in, in a way I've never been smitten with or, or I've never been captivated by any role-playing game I've ever played. And I, and I know it's kind of a broad spectrum. Like, what do you mean by role-playing it? I know everything's a role-playing game now, but I'm talking about like a true role-playing game. Like where you level up and you quest and you unlock skill points and you got skill trees and there's quest logs and different branching paths and decision making and open worlds and I'm talking about that stuff. I'm not talking about like, well, Far Cry is an RPG because it has a skill tree and it's open world. No, Far Cry is not a fucking RPG. It has RPG elements. I'm not talking about that. Uh, But I'm saying from a true RPG standpoint, so far, I mean, unless I'm like really forgetting something I love and it's just not coming to mind, I think so far, Starfield's probably my favorite role-playing game I've ever played in my entire life. It's just it's just got me in such a way that it's like, man, and the more I play, like I feel like I got a much better understanding of the travel system game it, 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 traveling system in this game now that I'm not solely focused on the main quest line now that I have done random exploring and planet surveying stuff. and like, yeah, it, it would be so cool if this game was like you hop in your spaceship and then you point to the stars and you just blast off and then you can fly from one planet to another. That would be very cool in theory. But what makes this game so amazing and so special isn't the whole, like, I'm flying from Earth to Mars right now. Look at me being a fucking idiot. The thing that makes the game so special is all the RPG elements. It's the interacting with characters. It's the exploring worlds. It's the questing. It's the inventory management and grinding for new loot and gear and all these things. And. I just think flying a spaceship around space with nothing to do other than travel from point A to point B with occasional moments of ship combat would be a very big lull in the middle of an otherwise action-packed, action-filled, just bombastic experience that is just chock-full of amazing things to do. And I was it's like, well, Jesse... A huge part of the game sometimes is just going to random desolate planets and just surveying plants and animals and mining for resources. That's slow, that's boring, that's a that's a pace killer. Listen, I'm not saying being able to go in your spaceship and fly around from planet to planet would be a bad idea, I would welcome that. I'm just saying I don't think it's necessary to keep intact the things that make this game truly great. If you want a game where you can hop into a ship and fly from one planet to another, those games exist, and they're cool, and I'm glad they exist. And I'm not saying Starfield shouldn't have that or it would be a bad idea for it to have it. I'm just saying I don't think not having that is nearly as detrimental to the experience as people are making it out to be. And I think by fixating on that so much, what we're learning is there are a lot of people out here who refuse to understand or try and understand what Starfield is trying to be, and they're getting frustrated over what it's not. And that's got... I mean, do whatever you want. You're welcome to take whatever opinions you want Feel how you feel. But that's not... After playing this game for 35 hours, I don't think that's the point of Starfield. And again, I'm not saying maybe it wouldn't make the game better if they had it. Maybe it would. I don't fucking know. But I'm just saying that this is still my favorite role-playing game I've ever played, so far at least. And yeah, the, traveling, the, the space travel system is not what people wanted it to be or whatever. And yes, it doesn't run at 60 FPS. And yes... It's not the most visually stunning game I've ever looked at in my entire life. Whatever, dude. Whatever. Play the game. Let it take you in. And I know there's some people who have done that and genuinely said, "Eh, it's not for me. And that's fine. Teach their own. But, like, just at least try to appreciate the game for what it is and not what you thought it should have been. Stop trying to, like, armchair design this game with Bethesda and just experience what Bethesda made. So, I don't know, man. I just think Starfield's excellent. I'm enjoying every aspect of the game even more, and I've done some really like mind-numbingly slow and methodical things in this game and still walked away going, why am I enjoying this so much? I'm just, I don't know. I'm just so smitten with this game. And so that's where I am with Starfield. It's just, you know, the menus suck. I don't know. It can be really hard to find out. Like, there's no, like, master list of planets even ones you've explored so it's like sometimes i'll like take a quest and they'll or not a quest i'll i'll remember something like i talked to that one guy at at that one bar and he said that thing i kind of want to go back there and explore that but it's not a quest so there's no like objective marker i can use to track where that was again how do i find that bar again i don't remember what planet that was on i don't even know where what solar system that was you you know And, and there are times in this game where it's just like I've been to a place, but I don't know how to get back there because the menus in this game suck. It doesn't have like a great way of telling you like, oh, are you looking to go back to this city? Well, just so you know, look, refer to this menu because it will show you that this city is on this planet, which is in this, this, this star system, like they don't have that in this game. The menus suck. Like there's a serious learning curve to the menus and some of the inventory menus and some of the traveling mechanics and things like that. Like this game is a little cumbersome and bad at explaining some very crucial details and i'm intimidated by the by the base building the ship building and all of these things and some of the crafting stuff i haven't done a whole lot of that because i'm really intimidated by that and there's some serious learning curve i do plan on getting into that and trying to see if maybe i like some of it but i'll be honest the game the game's got things i don't like about it but despite all that like oh man dude just play, dude play the uc vanguard quest line man go to the freaking the museum and explore all the history learning about like the war that led up to to like the the various uh, governing bodies of the of of the of space and and like the wars that happened in the years following humanity fleeing the earth and the reasons for why humanity left earth in the first place like explore those stories re, you know take on those quest lines go through all the various in, environmental and in and, and, and world building storytelling that explains all these things and and just get lost in this game for a little bit and then tell me that this game isn't beautiful and vibrant and rich with storytelling and, and just environmental detail and things like that. It's like, ugh, it's just, it's just such a very, very good game. And I, I, I love Starfield. So I'll leave it at that for now. At the end of the show, we are going to read through listener comments about Starfield. Specifically, we're going to have comments in two sections, Starfield comments, and then just regular comments because a handful of you guys do are also really enjoying Starfield and have some good things to say about it, and so I want to celebrate that as well. So we'll get into that. Other than that, there's one other game I've been playing kind of a little bit. Uh, just a little shout out to this, just because I, I like the idea of mobile gaming. I just have a hard time finding mobile games that don't suck. And recently, I don't know how, but I came across this game called Doncaster, which is really really cool. It is this, um, yeah, it's this deck building mobile game. Um, I forget the name of the developer, but it is their only game, they're a European-based developer, it's their only game they've ever made, and it's this $5 iOS and Android deck-building RPG game, and, um, like, questing adventure game, and the thing I like about it a lot is, my my favorite mobile games are the ones that cost 5 or 10 bucks and don't try to hit you up with, oh, recharge your crystals, or skip the ad, or pay five bucks to skip ads altogether, like, games that don't do that, games that are like, can we have five bucks, and in exchange, we'll just give you a really inoffensive, fun mobile game, that, that's the best kind of mobile game, so, I gladly gave these guys five bucks to try this game out, and I'm glad I did, it's really fun, um, it's just kind of like, deck builder, where you, you, you basically, it's like, old school, like, uh, Dunge- Dungeons, and Dragons kind of, like, scenario, where it's like, you walk down the, the down into the forest, and you come across Three options. Which do you choose? Option one, go to the campfire and rest for the night and heal up. Option two, uh, a wild boar attacks you. Do you fight back? Or option three, you find a mysterious chest and you attempt to open it. What do you do? And like, you select your option. If like if you select the, the, the boar, you go into combat and you have your different de- cards. and you It's like Marvel Snap or freaking Hearthstone or whatever. And you, you do your things with your deck and you, and you fight and it's really fun. Or it's like you go to the campfire and you rest up and you save your progress or... You go to the chest and it's like, oh, you try to open up the chest and a mysterious voice speaks to you. It asks you to sacrifice a card. Do you want to sacrifice a card? It's like you sacrificed your card and we're rewarded. And it's like it's like cool shit like that. And like you just you're constantly customizing and adding and building to your deck, um, fighting enemies, trying to follow the story. It has like actual writing to it, so there's like narrative to it. It's just it's fun. It's just fun little like light role playing quick mobile session on the go kind of stuff and it's one of those like if you die once it's like you got to restart the whole quest line over again so you got to be really strategic about stopping at campfire points when you're um when you come across them and not try and take on super tough enemies when you come across one that you're not really leveled appropriately for and so i don't know i find it's like a really fun little game to burn five or ten minutes from every you know when you're on your phone i'm just i'm just trying to be a little more healthy with my habits on my phone so i know it's like playing video games on your phone how is that healthy but it's like I deleted Twitter from my phone for a while. I'm just gonna keep it off my phone for a minute because I'm like, I don't. I'm just. I need to minimize the amount of time I'm. I'm on social media. I've done a really good job of limiting the amount I'm posting and act, being active on social media with saying things. And now I'm just trying to limit a little bit more how much time I spend reading and just being on social media apps. So I deleted Twitter because that's that's the biggest offender for me. And I replaced it with this just so I'd have something else to fidget with on my phone. And so far, I feel like this is just mentally a little healthier to be. Having some light fun in this little deck building RPG, as opposed to uh going on Twitter and everyone's like, "You're, you're a piece of shit." Starfield, Starfield's gay. Uh, uh Call of Duty's dumb. Everything's dumb. Xbox's dumb. Credit card, you know, whatever. Like, f- what? We'll, we'll get into the credit card in a minute here, but I, I don't know, man. I just the internet sucks. So I'm just trying to find some other ways to have fun. So that's why i have been playing Doncaster Starfield. Look at me, I'm a fucking RPG nerd. Next time you see me, I'll be wearing robes and have one of those. Gamer hunchbacks and glasses and oily hair that indicates I haven't showered in three days. Let's get on to the news, guys. Let's stop. I'm wasting your time. Let's get into the news. All right, you guys. Starting out with the news, we got to talk about something a little unusual. Very Xbox-related, technically, but not very. uh, Nothing we've ever talked about before with Xbox. Let's put it that way. From VGC, get into debt with Xbox. Well, that's my that's my editorialization, but. Here's what they said, Microsoft have announced plans to launch an Xbox MasterCard in the United States, issued by Barclay, Barclay, it's Barclay, Barclay, yeah. And, uh, sorry, the no annual fee credit card will be available beginning September 21st, 2023 for Xbox Insiders, and next year for all Xbox players, so clearly they're targeting diehard Xbox fans. Quote, the Xbox Mastercard allows card members to earn points with everyday purchases and redeem those points on games and add-ons at xbox.com," said Dave McCarthy, corporate VP of Xbox Player Services. Cardholders will earn five times points on qualifying purchases with the Microsoft Store and three times qualified uh, and three times points across eligible dining delivery services, including Grubhub, DoorDash, and streaming services like Netflix or Disney Plus. Players will be able to choose from five card designs and customize their MasterCard with their Xbox Gamer Tag on it. After the first purchase, they'll receive 5,000 card points, a $50 value, plus three months of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate for new members, which can also be gifted. APR rates range from 20.99% to 31.99%. See full terms and conditions. So, yeah, the Xbox, the Microsoft getting the freaking credit card game, Xbox is getting their own credit card. So... I don't know, I get, I, this isn't that weird to me, I don't think this is that odd, uh, I don't know, I saw a lot of chatter about this, it is a slow news week, at this is what we're starting with, but I promise we have some more interesting stuff to talk about, I just want to get this out of the way, because I'm like, what? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's an Xbox credit card, so for those of you interested, starting like a week, in beginning in the US at least, uh, there is an Xbox credit card for you to get involved with, uh, Barclay is the, yeah, is the issuer that does a lot of these, like, credit cards for like, clothing retailers and apple and all these kinds of like more boutique-ish credit cards that are like very specific to a, a particular brand or something like that i actually don't have issues with these kinds of things generally well actually let me back up i don't know how financially literate or illiterate i am so don't everything i say don't even take it with a grain of salt just don't even take what i say just let it pass through your ears as absolute nothingness uh but i don't know to me it's like There are far better credit cards you can get out there because I know there are a lot of these like Chase Sapphire cards and all that that people Capital One people love because you can get all sorts of cash back offers on gas on or, you know, for travel points and hotel points and things like that. And people love to use these things so they can like cut down on costs for vacationing or save money at the pump with gas and things like, you know, more practical uh, adult type of purchasing um, for everyday items and things that they purchase like groceries and whatnot. So I know there are a lot of really good credit cards out there that have no annual fee um, or all these kinds of things are really low APR. That's kind of the kicker with this one is it has a really high interest rate, um, 21 to 32 percent interest rate, which is insane, uh, insanely high, I should say. But I don't know if you're if you use credit cards the way I use credit cards, I don't I don't necessarily think this is a bad credit card because it doesn't have an annual fee. I don't know. My. I use credit cards for everything I purchase, but for very different reasons. My My whole philosophy, and I don't know why this is going into like financial uh, logic, but my whole relationship with credit cards is like, I buy everything on a credit card, but I treat it like my debit card. So like, going to the grocery store, getting gas, going out to dinner, whatever. Everything goes on a credit card with the intention that... I pay that credit card. The logic is pay it every single month. I pay it twice a month just because I don't like to have balances on my credit card. My whole thing is like I cannot use a credit card unless I have the money in my bank account to comfortably pay it off and then some. So like that's my relationship with credit cards is I use that because I want to have really good credit and because I want to reap those reward points. And so like for me, for example, I I use really only two credit cards. I have the Amazon credit card that I think a lot of people have. Um, where just because we all end up inevitably spending so much fucking money on Amazon anyway, that's like you might as well have the thing that that gets you all that cash back for for Amazon, and it works out pretty nicely. Basically, with with that card, I'm able to just pay for most of my Amazon purchases for free through my Amazon reward points. Because you know I shop at Amazon enough to where it's worth having the card, but not enough to where I'm not able to really get a lot of value. I don't know. It works well for me, so I just I use that Amazon credit card mostly just because there are certain like like my shampoo and my my hair products and things like that like I buy a lot of those kinds of things on on Amazon or like oh my niece is having a birthday i'm going to go buy her a, a, a toy and then ship it to my my brother's house so that my niece has a birthday gift or something like that like i do a lot of that kind of stuff on Amazon very like practical everyday things and so i find having the Amazon credit card to be like a really really good thing because i'm able to just r- reap all those reward points and use it to pay for things i have to buy anyway that are otherwise kind of seen as like unplanned expenses you know it's like my electric bill my rent my car insurance that's a planned expense every month but like shampoo it's like I, I i need shampoo when i run out of shampoo who knows when that is or like oh my 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 my, ne- my niece is having a birthday or like oh i got to uh, the cat food is cheaper on amazon than it is at, at target so i guess i'm going to buy it on amazon that kind of stuff it's just nice to have all those reward points hoarded up so i can just like not have to make little microtransactions all the time on amazon so that's like my number one go-to credit card but that credit card doesn't have a really great interest rate but i i, I use it because that that functionality of, like, as long as I put everything on my credit card and then pay that credit card off so I never owe a penny on that credit card ever, it's like, okay, well, does it doesn't matter because the interest rate doesn't matter if you never hold a balance on it, right? So that's kind of, like, my logic. I know for a lot of people it's, like, the 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 safe, sound, conventional wisdom is you always get a credit card with a very low interest rate because, God forbid, something happens and now you need to use that credit card to live off of for a while, like you lose your job and the economy goes to shit and you can't find a job for a while and you need to lean on your credit cards for a little bit. You obviously want to have one with a very, very low interest rate so that you don't get railed at the end of it all. You know, it's like, I, I don't know, like, I guess maybe that's a little irresponsible of me that I'm I don't think of credit cards that way because my whole relationship is like and this isn't to brag. I guess this is just something I'm, I'm very blessed with is that like. There's a lot of things I don't have a healthy relationship with this in the in, within this world. I don't have a healthy relationship with fast food. I don't have a healthy relationship with Mountain Dew. I don't have a healthy relationship with wanting to go outside and exercise, although I, I, I do okay at it, I guess. But one thing that I do have just a natural, healthy relationship with is like my – the way i view money like i don't i don't spend money i don't have so to me it's like a credit card is like i would never i would never put something on a credit card if i didn't have the money to also pay it off like i wouldn't i wouldn't finance something because it's like oh i'll have the money tomorrow so i'll finance it today and i'll pay it off over time i would never do that like i just don't buy unless you have the money because that's just your every everything's trying to get you in debt. The whole point of the economy, the whole point of capitalism, is to try and get every working class person into so much debt to where that you own them. So you know, I say that as someone who's about to take on a fucking mortgage. So anyway, the point being, I think that's, that's a long roundabout way of me saying, I think this credit card. If you have that kind of mentality or that kind of relationship with credit cards, kind of similar to how I do, it's like I think this is a fine credit card. Um in the sense that you know so long as you're paying off your credit card every you know once or twice a month so you never ever ever have a rolling balance and you never ever ever are accruing interest then yeah i mean it's fine there's no annual fee so you're not wasting money there um and and you eventually you'll earn enough points over time that you'll be able to get discounts on video games and and in transactions on the xbox store and if you are someone who spends a lot of money on xbox and plays a lot of Xbox games, this will save you money over time in that regard, right? So in that regard, I don't I don't think it's a bad credit card, but I guess the other step to kind of like my logic with a credit card is usually it's like whatever rewards you're getting from a credit card should probably be for practical real life applications. So like to me it's like like I get that. People want the one with good travel point rewards or gas rewards or something like that. In my case it's like Amazon stuff. But like I don't know, like, I know, like, for myself, for example, I'd have no interest in getting the Xbox credit card. I think it feels a little frivolous, even if the card does look cool, and obviously half the reason they want you to, you know, that's the whole point, is the card looks cool, and then you want to sign up because of that, but that's how they get you. But, like, I don't know, to me, it's like, Xbox is like a step over the line a little bit, where I'm like, hmm, that kind of treads on frivolous territory just a little bit, where it's like, yeah, I'm gonna spend money on Xbox no matter what. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy Alan Wake two. I'm gonna buy Call of Duty Modern Warfare three no matter what. You know, might as well put it on a credit card that's gonna get me points that I can then use to save money on the next Xbox game I buy. I, I get that logic, but like, I don't. know. I feel like if you have a credit card, it should be putting itself towards rewards that are gonna be more like needs and less like wants, if that makes sense. And I guess even my Amazon card is kind of pushing it because it's like. Yeah, mostly using it to buy like shampoo or whatever or cat food for my cat. Or for me. Maybe I eat cat food. You don't know. Ha ha ha. But um I don't know. Like do you really need the do you really need to open another line of credit so that you can get deals on video games? Eh, eh. Now that being said, I should say the other credit card I have, and this is where my whole argument falls apart. The other credit card I have is the Disney Visa credit card. But that's because I only I only use that for purchases I make for Disney. So if I if I go on a Disney cruise, I book it on that credit card. If I if I go to a restaurant on Disney property, I buy it with that credit card. If I buy merchandise at Disney, I buy it with that credit card because you get all these Disney reward points that you can then turn to Disney gift cards that you can then use to spend at Disney restaurants, spend on Disney vacations. And and I guess by the, I, I'm a hypocrite in that way because by the same token, it's like I know for the rest of my life as long as I can at least. I'm going to do Disney shit no matter what. I'm going to go to Disney World. I'm going to fucking do Disney cruises. I'm going to go eat at Disney restaurants and buy stupid Epcot T-shirts for $30 that are really like $15 value shirts. I don't care. I'm going to do that shit no matter what because that's that's the thing that makes me happy in this world. So I have the Disney cre- uh, gift uh, credit card that also has a pretty similarly shit interest rate. But again, I exercise that. That thing of like, I do not buy anything at Disney, I do not book anything at Disney, I don't do Disney purchases unless I have the money in my bank account ready to pay off that credit card right after I make that transaction. So, as long as you can exercise that kind of fiscal responsibility of never holding a balance and never letting that interest accrue, I think it's fine to have a card like this, although I just, again, I just feel like there are maybe financially savvier cards to get ones with lower interest rate where the reward points are a little more practical, like reward reward points for gas and things like that. It's like, okay, well everyone needs to put gas in their tank unless you drive a Tesla, like fucking some kind of guy who owns a website or something. Um, but you know, it's like, do we really need the the Xbox card? So we can what? You get five times points on qualifying purchases from the Microsoft Store. Like, what is that gonna get you? Like, I I saved I I spent a thousand dollars on this credit card, and earned enough points to get five dollars off of a uh, of Splinter Cell Conviction for the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. That was fifteen dollars on the Xbox Marketplace, but with all the reward points I had on my Xbox Mastercard, I was able to get it for eight ninety nine instead of fifteen dollars. It's like, uh, okay, man, cool. So I don't know. That that's kind of where I'm at with it, but um, each their own. I the card designs look cool, no doubt. It would be cool to have it because you're an Xbox gamer and you got to rep who you are. But also think about it like this. Think about it like this. And I'm more of a, I, I Google Pay as much as I can, but I think it shows it shows what your credit card looks like on that too. Do you really want to whip out your card when you're at a restaurant or whip out your card when you're at the grocery store? And for everyone around to see, oh, that 30-something-year-old man's paying with a, with a credit card that has the Xbox logo on it. He's a man child. It's kind of like advertising. It's kind of like a uh, when you see men that wear those shirts, it's like not now, mom. I'm gaming. It's like yeah, it's like having the Xbox credit card in your wallet. It's a little, it's a little bit like that. But then again, I guess having the Disney wallet in your credit or credit card in your wallet, it's also a little bit like, I don't know, advertising that I don't know you fucking uh, have a thing for cartoon women or something. I don't know. Anyway. um I don't have anything else to say to this. It's weird. There's a credit card with the Xbox thing on it, and you can get points. Um, if you're a very disciplined person with your money and you don't plan on getting into debt over something as trivial as a fucking Xbox credit card, then I think maybe this is a decent way to save some money. Otherwise, uh, I assume most people listening to this podcast are probably better with their money than I am, so do what you will. Make make the decision that makes the most sense for you, but if you're interested, if you're out there, hey, they got a whole-ass uh, Xbox credit card now. You can You can buy Xbox. You can play Xbox. You can see Xbox. Imagine, like, taking a girl out and, like, just fucking... Hey, no problem, girl. I got money, dude. Swipe that card. Swipe that. Yeah, we'll get bottle service. Put it on the Xbox. Put it on the Xbox. Put it on the Series. Put it on the Series credit card, dude. Put it on the Xbox Series credit card. And you just, like, fucking flash the thing around, dude. People think you got money if you got one of these cards. So, that's cool. Well, let's about video games again. Embracer Group is considering selling off Gearbox, according to uh, claims or, or reports... From VGC, Embracer Group is unfortunately considering selling off Gearbox. According to a new report via Market Screener or via uh, Reuters uh, relayed via Market Screener, which says that the Swedish company is looking at options uh, for the Borderlands studio and says that these uh, says that a sale is one of those options they're looking at. The publication cites that three people familiar with the matter, speaking to anonymity, it's one of those words I can never pronounce anonymity fuck off uh who have also reiterated that the sale is only being considered at this stage it may not happen at all however following this this article bloomberg had an update on september uh, 11th at five in the evening saying following this story in an email uh viewed by bloomberg gearbox chief communications officer dan hewitt told staff that there were many possible outcomes after the studio was put up for sale quote the base case is that Gearbox remains a part of Embracer, he wrote. However, there are many options under consideration, including Gearbox's transfer, taking Gearbox Independent and others. Ultimately, we'll move on ahead with whatever path is best for Gearbox and Embracer. So, um, oh yeah, two sources claim that Embracer has received interest from third parties keen on buying the studio and weighing up the possibility of selling it. Potential buyers who reportedly mainly consist of international gaming groups have already accessed Gearbox marketing materials. So it sounds very much like Higher ups at Gearbox are aware, and that very much poss- is a very much, very much so a possibility that Gearbox is going to be put up for sale. We know that Embracer is in some serious trouble. They were trying to acquire what was it, like two two billion dollars and in 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 funds um, that fell through from from uh, the Saudi Royal Fund, and. Um, without that that liquid to keep them kind of operating the way they were they're now kind of scrambling for money and that's what put them into the situation where they shut down volition last week and 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 now we're talking about gearbox possibly getting sold off this is things are not looking good for embracer it's very possible that we see this uh this megalith corporation start to crumble and fall apart which is Kind of scary, and if that's the case, we might see a fire sale happen of all these different IP and and studios that are have been gobbled up by Embracer over the over the past five years or so. So Gearbox is obviously going to be their biggest one. Gearbox is the big team they own. And I think looking at possibly selling them off is their way of saying, like, if we can sell these guys off, we can get the most amount of money to keep us afloat from these guys than any of our other teams. Also, Gearbox probably isn't close to being ready to ship a new game. We don't know what Gearbox is working on. After Borderlands 3 and Tiny Teen Wonderland, there's been no word as to what they're doing. So, you know, whatever. And Gearbox is one of those teams, kind of like Insomniac, that for the longest time operated independently, and then they got gobbled up by Embracer, um, just like, just like um, Insomniac got gobbled up by PlayStation, kind of like how PlayStation also gobbled up Bungie, and now uh, really when you think about those kinds of teams, they're like these big, long-standing teams that just kind of stayed independent. There's really not much left outside of like Remedy Entertainment, so the thought of Gearbox going back to being independent... Pretty cool. I respect the hell out of that, but I just don't see it happening. Not in this hyper-competitive world where every every studio is gobbled up by everyone. It's just I don't know what. It, I feel like this means if these guys go up for sale, Tencent will swoop in and buy them. I know everyone's knee-jerk reaction is going to be like, "Oh, Xbox should. Oh, Xbox, you should buy them. Buy, buy them, Xbox. Oh, buy them because then you can put them on with fucking I don't know. People can fly and try and make them make a a, 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 a new." Um, a new Bulletstorm game, even though it's not Epic. We're talking about Gearbox, but fuck it, why not? I don't know. I, I just don't know why you would want Gearbox necessarily to be part of Team Xbox. Maybe I just don't have the appreciation the love for them, but I, I don't think Gearbox has really done enough to really prove that they're, that they're like Xbox first-party material, but I don't know, maybe maybe that'd be a good idea. I, I honestly would just like to see Gearbox go independent again, or maybe if they get gobbled up by someone, just go to anyone other than like Tencent. But in all actuality, I, I listen. I think a future where Epic gobbles up Gearbox that'd be pretty. That'd be pretty safe bet. I feel like Gearbox that kind of makes sense with Epic. They'd be good under that umbrella. They'd be able to do good work. They'd be safe financially under that Fortnite money. I feel like that'd be a pretty happy home for them. So that's that's like the best case scenario I think would be like Xbox or Epic acquires them. Um I don't think PlayStation wants anything to do with Gearbox uh, on like an ownership level and then yeah, worst case scenario and hope, um, probably most likely someone like Tencent or Saudi Saudi Arabia or some shit is going to is going to gobble up Gearbox and when that happens, uh I'm going to go from I think Gearbox is cool. I just I'm not really into their games so like fuck Gearbox. I'm not playing your games anymore. So I don't know. I fear that that's how this is going to go. But listen, man, the fact that that Embracers is, is thinking about selling Gearbox and, and I believe this report, I don't think this is made up shit. Well, you know, whether they go through with it or not, that's a different story, but they're definitely at least considering it. And the fact that that's where we are, it means that things are looking really dire for Embracer. So I'm wondering if we're going to have another THQ out of business fire sale situation like in 2012, 13 or whatever it was on our hands all over again. So time will tell but man this is so it's so unfortunate cuz i can't help but think embracer group could have done something really special by just trying to keep it trying to keep it at a reasonable size they didn't try to grow too big for their own good i feel like they could have had something really damn special they have really good ip they have some really good aa teams they could have dominated this thq aa space all over again but they got greedy, they got stupid, they got too ambitious, and then shit happened with the economy and interest rates and everything. And now they're in way over their heads with all this with all this money that they owe and all this rising interest rates and all this rising development costs and how expensive game development has gotten over the past few years. And now now they're fucked. So unfortunately, here we are where we're trying to figure out where Gearbox is gonna go and what's gonna happen to Embracer when all is said and done. I mean, because volitions shut down, gearbox might get sold off. That's not even close to the end of it. So we got we got a lot more. I guess this is going to be the story we'll transition to as we move from Microsoft is buying Activision. We can transition into Embracer is, is fucking falling apart at the seams, and and let's see who buys what. So great. All right, next up is not so much one story as it is uh, about one, two, three, four, five, six updates on Starfield. Just just kind of like all of the Starfield updates that have happened throughout the week. Kind of going over where we are with sales. Mod support, new updates for the games, different things. So we'll talk about all of this um, starting now. So Starfield stats and accomplishments beginning with that um, from VGC. Starfield this past week had topped the 1 million concurrent players or sorry, on its official launch day. Rather, Starfield topped 1 million concurrent players, according to Microsoft head Phil Spencer. Following the five day early access period for customers who pre-ordered the game. Um, Bethesda's new IP was released on September 6th for Xbox and PC, uh, and also through Game Pass. Additionally, Starfield appears to have broken Microsoft's record for the biggest launch day for an Xbox Game Studios title, which is excellent. Uh, a tweet from the official Starfield account claims that over 6 million people have played the game by the end of its first official day of release. So by the end of September 6th, over 6 million people had played the game. That's crazy. They said... As of the morning, Starfield's already passed 6 million players, making the biggest Bethesda launch of all time. What's more, Starfield has managed to attract more concurrent players on Steam than Skyrim ever has. So, according to SteamDB, the game hit its highest peak on, uh, to date on Sunday, this past Sunday, when it reached 330,000 concurrent players, which is people playing all at the same time. This is higher than the peak number of concurrent players achieved by Skyrim, which hit two hundred and eighty seven around uh, two hundred and eighty seven thousand players around back when it came out in twenty twelve. Uh, or sorry, eleven. Twenty eleven. Getting ahead of myself. Twelve years ago, twenty eleven. Uh, the figure suggests that extremely strong uh, an extremely strong start going for the game's sales on Steam, but this new peak concurrent player number isn't the highest ever reached by Bethesda. In fact, Starfield is in, has some way to go before it beats Fallout 4, which managed to hit the publisher's highest ever peak eight years ago at 472,000 players reportedly playing the game concurrently shortly after release. Also, Starfield has enjoyed a strong physical sales debut in the UK, despite... Actually, let me stop there for a second so we can talk about that a little bit. I want to explain that. So, st- remember, Skyrim is the game that took um, Bethesda from... Fallout 3 a little bit, but really Skyrim. Those are the games that took Bethesda from, like, kind of niche, niche, RPG, western, like, nerdy-style game to, like, mainstream appeal everyone knows about and plays these games. So, Starfield or, um, Skyrim is the one to beat. So, the fact that it's beating Skyrim is an impressive mark. Obviously, there are a lot more gamers today, a lot more people who play video games. And we've also seen the PC player base grow and grow exponentially over the past generation or so. You know, the PS3, Xbox 360 generation, it seemed like there was a lot more of a playstation xbox divide whereas since the xbox one years a lot of people have migrated to pc so the fact that the pc numbers grew a lot from Star uh from skyrim to starfield not terribly surprising what is interesting to look at here is how starfield did not beat fallout 4's numbers in 2015 when that game came out now the reason for that is pretty simple it's because fallout 4 released on steam everyone bought it on steam end of story S- uh, S- uh starfield released on steam yes and did very well but isn't where fallout 4 was because a lot of people playing on pc are not buying the game for 70 dollars on steam and playing it that way they are subscribing to game pass and playing the game through the xbox pc client so it's completely different so in actuality starfield has probably got more players and in fact we know it has more players at launch than fallout 4 had but the difference is a lot of those PC players are playing on Game Pass through the Xbox app, as opposed to playing the game through Steam, which is why Steam is tracking less data. In addition to that, it's very important to note, 6 million players, biggest Bethesda launch for for the company yet. That is considering the fact that this game is not on PlayStation. So just between Game Pass, Xbox consoles, and Steam, this game has its biggest launch in terms of player count of any Bethesda Game Studios game so far. So clearly, what that says is being on being on Game Pass, and Xbox, and PC only and not PlayStation did not affect the number of people who were able to access this game. Important little anecdote, I've had multiple people tell me, oh yeah, I'm playing Starfield, I went ahead and subscribed to Game Pass, I'm streaming it from my phone, I'm streaming it from my old Xbox One, I'm streaming it from my PC. I've had a couple people tell me these things, and I'm seeing... Anecdotally, it's like people are subscribing to Game Pass for this game. I've also seen people who are who have gone out and picked up an Xbox Series S just so they can play Starfield. Like PlayStation people I know who went out to the store and bought an Xbox Series S just so they can play uh, the, the, a little bit of Starfield. So clearly, this game is exactly what Xbox needed. It is a killer app. It is a system seller. It is a Game Pass subscription driver. This is exactly what Xbox is needed. And this is what I was talking about last week. Will this be the game Xbox needs? I think it has serious potential to be that game. Are people going to sit here and do the stupid thing? Oh, Starfield's a failure. It's a failure because the, the, the space travel sucks. The graphics are broken. The fruit physics suck compared to God of War 2018. Oh my God. The Last of Us has way better child death simulation effects. Like, no. This isn't that stupid console wars bullshit. This is... The proof being in the pudding of Xbox has a killer app. People want this game. There are people on PlayStation flocking over to Xbox to play this game. There are people on PlayStation subscribing to Game Pass so they can play this thing. There are people on Xbox who don't have Game Pass subscribing to Game Pass so they can play this. There are people on Steam who don't play console games who are buying Starfield. There are people going out of their way for this game. It is an objective win. And without the support of PlayStation, the biggest video game console on the market, well, I guess second to Nintendo now, still the game is just absolutely crushing it without Sony's platform in, in the picture. And so one other thing I want to say before we move on with the rest of these stats, going back to the whole, will Elder Scrolls 6 be on PlayStation back and forth? If Xbox wants to walk that back and make Elder Scrolls 6 an Xbox and PC and Game Pass exclusive and not put it on PlayStation which I think is the smart thing for them to do but all you know from a business standpoint but also you know if they whatever we'll we'll wait and see. I think Starfield just proved to them that they can do that without PlayStation and be just fine. Because Starfield was a bigger launch than Skyrim and it didn't have PlayStation. So by that large logic, the sequel to Skyrim can also skip PlayStation and have a bigger launch as well. So or at least at least the logic is there to support that 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 idea. So there you go. Okay, let's talk about the next one here. Okay, also Starfield has enjoyed a strong physical sales debut in the UK despite its inclusion of de- of being day one Game Pass available. Gamesindustry.biz journalist Christopher Dring Shared UK chart data on Sunday, revealing that the Xbox and PC exclusive was the number one selling boxed title during its release week. No surprise there. While exact numbers are not shared as part of the UK chart... Dring was able to say that Starfield isn't the biggest physical launch of 2023 in the UK, having sold less than Hogwarts Legacy, which is obviously not on streaming services, or Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which is obviously not on streaming services, and Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and Resident Evil 4, and Final Fantasy 16, and Dead Island 2, all of which are not on streaming services. So, the fact that this game has sold very well, charted number one, had the most players of any Xbox launch, or any Bethesda launch, Really, really, really good stuff. Now, in terms of physical copies sold, it looks like the game is selling well, or it's selling, you know, it's selling well enough to get a solid player base. But no, this goes to show you the fact that Dead Island 2 outsold it in its first week on the market, and Dead Island 2 actually did pretty remarkably well for what it is. I think it sold a million copies its first week anyway. The fact that it is being outsold in its opening week by Dead Island 2 just goes to tell you one thing. Game Pass is the main way people are playing this game. A lot of people are engaging with this game through Game Pass and not by buying the thing for 70 bucks. Which again, if you're Xbox, you want a little bit of all of it, right? I mean those those Steam sales don't don't hurt. It helps recoup a lot of that development costs. But also, you want the game to drive Game Pass subscriptions. So, the fact that a lot of people are buying this game through or are playing this game because they're subscribing to Game Pass to play it is very, very promising for the future of Game Pass. But again, once you captivate that audience with the Starfield, you got to keep them going with new content. And the question for you, Xbox, is do you have enough content on the horizon and in a steady, a steady release pattern that you can keep these new subscribers held on the game pass and that's gonna be the trick oh also worth noting all those other games we uh we mentioned like dead island resident evil star wars Jedi, those are all available on all platforms whereas uh, whereas starfield is only available on xbox and pc except for final fantasy 16 which is a uh, playstation 5 exclusive which is very impressive for final fantasy 16. all right here's the next one now we move away from game sales and talk about system sales so Thanks to the new hit game, Xbox Series X and S sales reached new weekly highs for 2023, coinciding with Starfield's early access release. Sales of Microsoft's consoles were up 76% week on week for the seven days, ending on September 2nd, according to data from market research firm GFK, which is published by GamesIndustry.biz. Microsoft also launched a new Series S 1 terabyte black model on September 1st which added which accounted for 24% of these Xbox Series consoles sold during that week. The week following, ending on September 9th, was also the second best of the year for Xbox Series S and X sales in the UK, according to GFK. The upturn follows a slow year for UK game Xbox hardware sales, which were down almost 23% year-to-date as of the end of August. And just for those wondering why all these numbers are about UK, it's because gamesindustry.biz, as well as VGC, are British websites and not American websites, and the American websites are not covering these sales data, so this is the best thing we have to go off of please um so again goes to show you killer app it will move consoles it will get people to buy your fucking game starfield is doing exactly what it needs to do it's exactly what xbox has needed it's selling well it's driving people game pass it's making people go out and buy xboxes it's making people engage in their ecosystems on their in their ecosystem on their services on their platform with their games this is exactly what xbox needs despite all the nonsensical argument arguing on the on the internet and people complaining about IGN gave it a seven and all that stuff, the fact of the matter is an overwhelming large population of people are enjoying the hell out of this game and engaging with it thoroughly. And right now PlayStation doesn't have anything people are freaking out about like that. And sure, things will change next month when Spider-Man comes out. But for right now, and for the first time in a very long time, Xbox is enjoying a very, very comfortably high moment for them. And this is the kind of win they've needed for so long. Honestly, I don't think Xbox has had a win that is this clear and easy and decidedly important for the company since the Xbox 360 years. Honest to God. Halo Infinite was almost that because it had a really great first couple weeks and then very immediately became apparent that that game was in trouble. Um, so it was kind of like that but this is not that at all this is very much just a big old win for xbox and a really great moment for the brand hopefully i what i really hope about this launch more than anything aside from just i'm happy for players and hope players really enjoy this game is that this first taste of of just of just abject sincere success for xbox um this taste of success for the first time in a very long time for the brand i hope is a really big motivator and um, instiller of hope and inspiration for them to, like, keep their heads down and keep going. Like, this is a great start. Starfield could be the start – of a really great future for Xbox. Let's keep the momentum going, and let's keep the great games coming. If they can keep up a really safe flow, obviously, Starfield's probably the biggest game Xbox Series S and X will get their whole generation. I don't expect Avowed or Fabled or freaking Contraband or or South of Midnight or any of these games to be on the scale, size, get the critical response and the audience response that a game like Starfield is getting, but if we keep getting these kinds of games and their hits, and Hellblade 2 is awesome, And Imperfect Dark is awesome, and all these games keep coming out and they keep hitting. We keep getting banger after banger after banger, and State of the K3 is by far the best State of the K that's ever been released. Xbox starts to look really good. Game Pass starts to look really good, and those things add up. Just because all those games individually, independent of one another, aren't a Starfield-level game, doesn't mean that all those games being really excellent in their own right added up over years won't lead to a really really excellent future for xbox and so if they can just start to roll the ball and get a lot more hits than misses and really start to knock these games out and get them out onto the service in a really respectable timeline and have a really good cadence of releases on game pass i think xbox is finally in a position where we can say xbox got the games they got they got what they need like it's a good platform it's a really really solid place for players to enjoy consistent excellent first party exclusive content so, fingers crossed, man, this is very, very promising stuff. You know, 2021 closed out with Halo Infinite and Forza Horizon 5. It seemed like the beginning of a new era for Xbox and turned out to be a big old dud, followed by a very, very underwhelming 2022. That being said, 2023 is kind of a similar thing where we're getting this big, exciting space sci fi game, followed by a Forza game. And it's got a, we're having a really big, high moment for Xbox right now. Let's hope that 2024 doesn't end up like how 2022 did and uh, fall flat on its face. I don't think that will be the case, but um, yeah. I mean, just here we go. Uh, Alright, and then real quick, let's talk about some updates and mod support and things like that for the, for the game as well. Bethesda has confirmed plans to introduce official mod support for Starfield beginning next year in 2024. When asked about mod support in an interview with Famitsu, game director Todd Howard said that the studio intends to support modding in a big way, as it has done with past games including Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim, and Fallout 4. Uh, you Quote, you'll be able to do almost anything just like in previous works, Howard said via Google Translate. Mod support will always be available will be available next year but uh, but we will love it too as we'll do in a big way bethesda has also detailed starfield's first major update announcing new features set to be delivered in future patches patches the first update includes performance and stability improvements as well as several quest fixes additionally bethesda promises future updates to address fan feedback issues like uh, brightness and contrast controls hdr calibration menu and fov slider yes uh, Nvidia DLSS support for PC as well as 32.9 ultra wide monitor support on PC as well as an eat button for food so I I love that every time you eat it's like you select an item and, and I never knew if I ate it or not so I love that I love that they had to add an eat button for the food I, I maybe I, ha, is that how that works I, have I not been eating the food every time I select it so I, I don't know I'm, I'm very curious about that and anyway I won't speculate on that because it doesn't fucking matter but that's uh that's our update on starfield the game is doing very very well it's a very big success story for xbox it seems and again it's just that it's kind of what i ended with last week after our conversation about starfield where it's just like this yes clearly i like the game a lot i'm very high on it i'm very excited for myself and, and i hope a lot of people are enjoying the same kind of fun with starfield that i'm having and, and i'm happy for people in general but on the whole this is just one of those moments if you're an xbox fan if you followed xbox for a long time you know that the past generation plus has just been a really not so great time in terms of Xbox fan morale and brand morale at the company and just overall. It's it's like being an Xbox fan is almost like putting a fucking target on your back when it comes to being a video game fan, which is just a ridiculous, stupid thing that you even had to say. But it's just it is. It's like you being an Xbox fan is like it's like being an Android per, like being an Android owner in America. It's just one of those things where it's like. I like Xbox because I like Xbox. I don't have to explain it beyond that. But people are like you have Xbox. No, oh, PlayStation's better. PlayStation better. It's like okay, cool, whatever. It's like the same thing. It's like in America, almost everyone has iPhone. But you walk around with a fucking Samsung, and it was like green bubble. I hate you. It's like dude, stop it with this. This dude. It's, it's did we learn nothing from World War II? Really, that we got to do this fucking the racial segregation, the ostracizing people of de- of certain groups. Because of things immutable characteristics like like the camera placement on their phone or the or the or the orientation of their, their analog sticks on their video game controllers? Do we really have to go through this again? Have we really not learned anything? Did World War II teach us nothing? Did Dr. Martin Luther King leave no impact on this world? Please stop making fun of our green bubble friends and embrace the fact that Xbox got the goddamn games, okay? it's a good place to play games, that's all I'm saying, but yeah, silliness aside, it's just a really good moment for Xbox fans, It's, it's a fun time to be like, yeah, Xbox is cool, I love my Xbox, Starfield's great, and I feel good about the future of Xbox, like the games we got on the way, it's not necessarily like, I don't mean for that to come across like, yay, Xbox validated my purchase by making Starfield, it's like, no, it's not that, it's like, I, I love the Xbox 360 years. I miss when it was like I had my Xbox. I was like, Xbox is fucking awesome, dude. We got fucking uh, Army of 2 and Gears of War and Halo and Call of Duty and Mass Effect and Dead Space and all these games be hitting uh, Guitar Hero 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, Rock Band, whatever. You know, we had all these games and it was cool. Left for Dead. Shout out to Left for Dead, the best game of all time. Fuck you, Sonic Unleashed. But it's just like, you know, back then it was like, Xbox was just fucking awesome. It just felt good. Like being being an Xbox gamer, being a fan of Xbox, it just it felt like good times. Energy, mo- moral, like morale, everything. It was high. People were excited. Everything was good. Xbox One, I love Xbox One. I often talk about how that might actually be my favorite generation, but it was definitely a low point for the fan base and stuff. And so it's just one of those things where it's been a long time since we've had a taste of that. Like, hell yeah, it's, it's good over here on Team Xbox. And so it's just I'm just enjoying. A moment where it seems like most Xbox gamers are really happy and really excited, and I'm sure a lot of people at Bethesda and a lot of people at Xbox are feeling really happy about the future of their companies and their products, um, just based on like the uh, overwhelming success of Starfield and what it's done for Game Pass and Xbox, and so it's just a it's just a fun moment to be like, oh yeah, remember this feeling that we had like the entire Xbox 360 generation. Remember this feeling, and you know the Xbox One generation, the best you would have is like. Something like uh, Quantum Break would come out, and you'd be like, I swear this game is amazing, and nobody believed you. But uh, this is different, so cool. All right, let's uh, last little roundup story for the week. Um, so we are officially out of the Xbox Live, it's gone. Uh, and Xbox Live Gold has turned into the $10 a month subscription, Xbox Live Gold has turned into the Xbox Game Pass Core tier, which is the tier that lets you. Uh, play online and do all the Xbox Live things, but instead of games with gold, you get Xbox Core, which is a list of 25 games, um, which is a list of 25 games that um, that you just get indefinite access to, as opposed to every month getting two new games with gold. And we talked about this back when it was announced. Well, today, the day this podcast goes live, September 14th, this is the day this officially rolls out. So beginning today, um, Game Pass Core is accessible to you know subscribers of 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 uh of what was once xbox live gold but is now game pass core so instead of full-blown xbox game pass access which you only get with xbox game pass ultimate or higher um if you are a core subscriber you get this list of 25 games well today xbox actually announced they're doing more than 25 games they're actually releasing 36 titles initially instead of 25 so you get a bunch more games and then two to three times a year they'll shuffle out some of these games for some other games so the, the, the list will change and rotate a little bit um so it's pretty cool so if you were on xbox live gold and you didn't have game pass you will automatically be shifted over from get xbox live gold to xbox game pass core And beginning September 14th, this Thursday, when the podcast goes live, the following 36 games will be on that initial run of games that are just included in your subscription. So you don't have the full Game Pass catalog unless you're an ultimate subscriber, but you do have these 36 games at least for now, and then every, like, you know, three to six months, they'll shift around, you'll get some different games as well. Uh, Okay, so the list is of 36, supposed to be 25, but they gave you 36 instead. Um, So there you go, more free games, or more games accessible, more bang for your buck. Uh, among is alphabetized. Among Us, Astroneer, Celeste, awesome game. Dead Cells, Descender, Dishonored Two, Doom Eternal, Elder Scrolls Online, Fable Anniversary, Fallout Four, Fallout Seventy Six, Firewatch, Forza Horizon Four, uh, Gang Beasts, Gears Five, Golf with Your Friends, Grounded, Halo Five Guardians, Halo Wars Two, Hellblade: Senua's Sacrifice, Human Fall Flat, Inside, Limbo, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Overcooked Two, Payday Two. Power Wash Simulator, Psychonauts 2, Slay the Spire, Spiritfarer, Stardew Valley, State of the K2, Super Liminal, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Shredder's Revenge, Unpacking, and Vampire Survivors. Those are those are some really good games, and obviously there's a little bit of a strategy to it as well, where you see it's like you get Halo 5: Guardians, but you don't get Halo Infinite. You get Forza Horizon 4, but you don't get Forza. Uh, you don't get Forza uh, Horizon 5. You get fallout 4 but obviously you don't get starfield you get dishonored uh 2 but you don't get Deathloop. you get there's another one i wanted to mention here oh you get state decay 2 because they want to they want to juice you up as we wait for state decay 3 to come in the near future so obviously a lot of that is kind of designed to get you to be like okay oh i like this game a lot now i want to subscribe to game pass ultimate so i can get the next version you know oh i like halo 5 I'll subscribe to Game Pass Ultimate so I can get Halo Infinite. I liked, I want to play, oh, I liked Fallout 4 a lot. I want to see all the fuss is about with Starfield. You upgrade and you get that. I like Forza Horizon 4. I want to play the new one. You upgrade to Game Pass Ultimate, you get Forza Horizon 5. So clearly there's a little bit of strategy with some of these games picked as well. But it's a really solid list of some really excellent games. So I I don't know. I I think this is way better than Games of Gold, um, in my opinion, especially considering how dog trash Games of Gold was. I know some of you guys lament it. I, obviously, the, the 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 end of the era for the Xbox Live brand is a sad thing, but I think this is overall a better direction going forward. It's a little bit more in line with what PlayStation does, but it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's a good move, I think. So, I don't know. And that's it for all the main news, you guys. Let's round out the podcast with the important enough news stories. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warn their own discussions. Starting with VGC relaying that Microsoft that provided an overview of What to expect from Tokyo Game Show, uh, saying Xbox will be at Tokyo Game Show. Players can expect to hear progress and updates on Xbox and Bethesda Softworks games and see creatively diverse collection of games from creators predominantly located in Japan and across Asia, said uh, Jarrett West, Xbox Chief Marketing Officer. Viewable on the Tokyo Game Show official YouTube channel. um, The presentation will be held on September 21st at 5 a.m. Eastern Time because Japan... Last month, Microsoft appointed former Sony or PlayStation executive Menasato Kato and it's as its director of partnerships for uh, Xbox in Japan. Prior to joining Xbox, she had various roles at Sony between 1999 to 2021, so a long 22-year career, including a seven-year spell leading business development for first-party PlayStation game development in Japan. In her new job at Xbox, she'll be leading efforts to support Japanese partners globally at Xbox, so... That is a huge deal that they've got. They pushed some serious talent from Sony. And then, of course, they're, they're staying strong. The Tokyo Game Show Xbox is trying really hard to expand their presence in the, in the East, which I appreciate. And, you know, they're having l- very limited success with it. But hopefully if they keep at it and continue to invest in it. Things will change eventually. Next up, this was a big one. I just didn't have much to say about it. Stig As- Asmussen, the director of both Star Wars Jedi games, is leaving Respawn Entertainment. Reported by Bloomberg, Asmussen is leaving Respawn, its parent company EA, and his next net destination is not known currently. "Quote: After careful thought and consideration, Stig as, Asmussen has decided to leave Respawn and pursue other adventures, and we wish him the best of luck," said EA spokesperson to Bloomberg in a statement. Veteran Respawn leader will be stepping down to, to guide the team as they continue to work on Star Wars Jedi Survivor," said the quote. Um, just last week. EA CEO Andrew Wilson teases an unannounced project currently in development at Respawn, calling the studio, quote, one of the most incredible acquisitions ever to be done in the industry. Well... You just lost one of your top guys, which is especially odd because as Musin was uh, quoted by IGN back in February saying he hoped to make a third Star Wars Jedi game. So something had to have happened that he left, especially that it wasn't like kind of more formally announced. There must have been something going on. I'm very curious for whenever we get the update as to why he left and what what the story is here. But for now, that's 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 a huge amount of talent at Respawn that just left. So you know, props to him, I guess. You you know, whatever, go go do what you gotta do. Hope you find happiness and more success in whatever's next for you, but there's a very interesting story there, and I want to know what it is. Next up, Microsoft's officially announced the latest Xbox controller. Confirming a previous leak, the Astral Purple Wireless controller is available for pre-order now for $65 US and launches on September 19th. Next up, Ubisoft's delayed X-Define's release date for the free-to-play FPS game. The release date was delayed by a couple weeks because it failed Xbox and PlayStation's console certification tests, which is pretty commonplace for these kinds of final submissions of games before they're launched to note mark rubin executive producer of the game said in an update published wednesday that it was likely or that it had Failed a um It failed a compliance check, which is usually more related to things like the game syncing with your friends list or achievements popping more so than like game b- breaking bugs or issues. So generally these fixes are quite fi- fast and then the game will be able to be re- uh, resubmitted for certification, hopefully released a few weeks after. So the X Defiant uh, summer 2023 release has been pushed into sometime most likely in October, but no date has been given as of yet. Next PlayStation game, uh, the next PlayStation game set to be released on PC this fall is reportedly going to be Horizon Forbidden West, which was released earlier last year. Uh, Deal Labs, Deal uh, leaker Billy Bill Kun who has lengthy track record of linking reli- leaking reliable information, says that the game will be available on Steam and Epic Game Store and that he is currently unable to confirm the release date, but it said that based on previous data, will most likely learn about the release in the next month so next playstation game coming to pc so xbox fans will be able to play it you know if you got a steam deck if you got a gaming pc or whatever there you go uh it's a weird one horizon is the horizon the the first horizon new dawn or whatever was the game that made me finally cave and buy my ps4 and i was so underwhelmed by that game i i liked so many of the games i played on ps4 last generation but Horizon was not one of them. That game disappointed me so much, so I kind of feel obligated to play this game when it comes to PC, but I also won't because the first one just didn't do it for me so i don't know maybe maybe someday i don't know next up vgc reports hd remasters the sega genesis platformer gargoyles is set for release next month disney announced that last year the 1995 game based on the anime tv show would be getting an hd remaster but didn't give any date or time disney's now confirmed that it'll, the remaster will come to xbox one via PC via steam and gog on october 19th Gargoyles games, uh, game was the only the Gargoyles game was only released in North America for Sega Genesis, and player uh, and has players controlling the TV show protagonist Goliath as he explores New York in search of the Eye of Odin. Every remaster lets players play the game in either original 16-bit visuals or a new hand-drawn art style, which makes the game look more cartoon-like, uh, and you you can switch at any point like you can in Halo remaster but uh pre-orders for the game are available now and the game only costs 15 bucks however limited run games is doing a 35 dollars standard edition if you want a physical copy or a 70 dollars copy for the classic edition or a 175 dollars for the collector's edition but if you're normal and you don't need statues of gargoyles laying around your house you can just pay 15 bucks and get it digital uh next up skull and bones is still fucked and that's and that's a fact ubisoft singapore's long-running developed problem with skull and bones has shown no signs of ab- 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 abating anytime soon According to Kotaku, the often delayed pirate game has lost its third creative director, Elizabeth Pellin, who had been responsible for rebooting the project back when it was meant to release in 2018. Skull and Bones had a closed beta test last month and is officially scheduled to launch during the publisher's current fiscal year, ending in March 2024. However, Kotaku sources say that the release date is, has not been nailed down internally. They also claim that Pellin's time in the Singapore studio ended prematurely, with Ubisoft veteran returning to the company, company's Paris headquarters this summer. Pellin, who is most notably who most notably wrote and directed the 2003 shooter. XIII, or 8, I don't know what that is. And Lead, designed for Splinter Cell's first sequel, Pandora Tomorrow, has expected to remain at the Singapore studio until at least the end of the year. It's been claimed, so not good, but is anyone surprised? That game is the only game that's more fucked than Beyond Good and Evil 2, which is the only game that is more fucked than, oh, Dreadwolf, than Dragon Age Dreadwolf, so, ha, ha, ha. All right, that's it for all of our news this week. You guys... It's time for the last segment of the show. It is the comments, the shout-outs, the questions over from YouTube.com. You know how it works. You go to YouTube.com slash XboxOnPodcast or at Podcast. Clear on the latest episode of the podcast and leave a comment. You can say anything you want, but you can, but you got, you got to say it with gusto. You can't, you can be nice, you can be mean, but you got, you got, to you got to say it with gusto. Otherwise, I'm not going to read your comment and no one's going to think it's sexy if you don't say it with gusto. So, first, let's go into your Starfield comments following last week's long discussion about Starfield. And then we'll do a couple comments about non Starfield related things. So, kicking us off, Compassionate Choice LLC wrote in and says, Starfield is my game of the year. That is all compassionate choice. So far, it's my game of the year too. Although Alan Wake Two, ooh, could be a good change, could change, could change. But yeah, man, I'm glad you're liking it. That's fucking awesome. Game's good. Headhunting Halo wrote in and says, "I smashed the campaign in Starfield after 17 hours of straight campaign, and it's so fun. I love all the things you can do in the campaign, and depending on your choice at the at the end, makes it even better. It's definitely my game of the year. You know, spoiler alert, not really, but yes, at the end of the game, there's something that happens, and it really changes the game a lot. It's really cool. But." it makes it even better. And it's definitely my game of the year that 17 hours last week. Uh, I have two days and 16 hours total as, as of now happy gaming to all fellow astronaut astronauts, much love. I couldn't agree more, man, that, that campaign alone is what did it for me. I just, that, that main quest line is so good. It's just the best God, Some of the best narrative I've, in, I've experienced in game in just so long. It's not like, Oh, it's so mind blowing. How do they think of that? It's just, the way in which it's told is just so well done, very, very good campaign. Cronky uh, wrote in and says, I'm about 50 hours into Starfield and I absolutely still love it. I still feel a reservation about the exploration of the game, feeling shallow. Uh, in Skyrim or Fallout, exploring is looking at a building or a cave and then getting dragged into the story there. In Starfield, the game feels much more on rails because the sheer number of planets means that they have to help the player find content a little more aggressively, but that being said." But the game does well, it does super well. 10 out of 10, I can't wait for the next Elder Scrolls to see how they further utilize this game's new gameplay and storytelling features. Amen. Yeah, and I see a lot of people uh, complaining about that. I think that's a really good point. It's just that I almost wonder, it's like the way they retool some of the narrative in this game and like kind of funneling you to it sometimes and making certain interactions and moments in the story feel more cinematic and, and more kind of like I don't know like coordinated in a way it's like it kind of came at the sacrifice of some of the exploration but if you had more of that traditional Skyrim style exploration would you have been able to have story that is as compelling and as gripping and as captivating as it is in Starfield I feel like that's kind of like the trade-off the the and the, the con you at the way and for me in this case it, it pays off because I'm just so into the storytelling and the lore of Starfield but I do see what you're saying I do think it's absolutely fair criticism but just for me, it works, I guess, is all I'm saying. And it looks like, for the most part, it works for you, because you're really into it as well. And Cronky, God knows how insanely critical you can be of games, So especially Bethesda. So you either love them or you hate them. So I'm glad you're loving it. Glad everyone's loving it. No one wrote in with any, like, real shade to throw at Starfield. A little, little surprising, maybe not so surprising, just because Xbox On does tend to have a pretty positive community. But, uh, hey, let's move on and talk about some other non-Starfield-related comments. The Blunden2 writes in and says, I'll skip on all the pumpkin spice latte stuff, and but pumpkin beers dropped on store shelves at the end of August, and I'm finally trying them all. Gotta love fall slash Halloween. Yes, sir. Yes, indeed. Pumpkin beer. Yes, yes, yes. Pumpkin beer. I very much do drink alcohol, and I'm very much an adult. I love pumpkin beer. I like the way it tastes. I like the way it makes me intoxicated if I have one too many. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? But no, uh, <laughs> goofing aside. Yeah, pumpkin beer is a, a good one. I, c- I completely forgot that's such a huge thing around this time of year. I have very limited experience with pumpkin beer. I think the only one I've ever tried is like uh, probably f- was Sam Adams' Oktoberfest or some shit like that. That's not pumpkin beer. That's Oktoberfest. My bad. I-, I don't have a lot of experience with pumpkin beer, if I'm being completely honest. I don't drink a whole lot of beer. I don't even drink all that much. But when I do drink, I usually skew a little more like bourbon or wine. So beer is just not... It's not a thing I do a whole lot. So. But uh, I will say pumpkin beer does seem like a really fun way to get into the fest. You know, it's the same thing. It's the same thing as pumpkin spice latte. It's like the the spirit is the same. It is the drink that indicates, hey, summer is over. Winter's not here yet. It's fall time. Baby, the leaves are turning are turning red and yellow and they're starting to fall and the kids are dressing up as stormtroopers and Elsa and Spider-Man because Disney bought everything and all the Halloween costumes are Disney. And kids are going to be knocking on your door and begging for candy in a couple weeks. And you're going to be like, God damn it. I'm trying to watch the God dang football game, Bobby. And you're going to open the door and you're going to give them a little bit of candy. They're going to say, that's all, mister. You're going to say, you take the damn candy and you'll be happy with it. And they'll be like, gee, mister, you suck. And then they'll throw eggs at your house and then you'll have eggs all over your house. But it's kind of your fault because you gave out bad candy. That's your fault. That's on you. You suck. You suck. You suck. You suck. But then you drink your pumpkin beer and you think, wow, I guess it's all not so bad because pumpkin beer puts me in the festive spirit of the holiday and to each their own for me maybe it's pumpkin spice latte to you maybe it's pumpkin beer but the end result is all the same we're happy it's fall time the weather's beautiful the kids are out having fun the spoopy atmosphere is in full swing and most importantly you've got some damn eggs on your house that you gotta go clean off before that shit ruins your paint. please for the love of god take care of that thank you for writing in mr blunden hope you're having a wonderful week and enjoy your beard please drink responsibly that's not my job to tell you what to do i'm not your parent you do whatever the fuck you want mike Clark writes in and says, Best Xbox podcast on the web. It'd be so funny if you just put an extra E in there. Best podcast on the weeb. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you as always. You said Dragon Quest 11. Dragon Quest 11. Sorry. I'm bad at Roman numerals sometimes. Dragon Quest 11 is the <laughs> X1. It's 11. Dragon Quest XI is all the great stuff and more. Plus, it uses more than gray and brown colors, but sadly, no sex with animals for your WRPG fans. I'm seeing a lot of those photos of uh, Baldur's Gate 3 and like the just the ob- obscene nudity of these like fucking furry-ass animal humanoid women. That's, that's creeping me out, man. Keep that shit to yourself. If you're going to be banging the furry creatures, the furry woodland folk... Teach their own, but keep me out of it, okay? I don't need to see that on my timeline. That's why I—that's the last thing I saw before I deleted Twitter on my phone. Truth be told, my hope is that Todd Howard keeps his tiny hands off of Indiana Jones. Jank is cute and all, but let Machine Games cook, please. Uh Machine Games can have a little bit of Jank as well, but yes, not the way that a Bethesda game, Steers game, has. Um, has jank so fa- fair enough redfall next subject lol i hated to hear about volition giant purple dildos for everyone that is a uh, saint's row reference i assume maybe embracers set uh sell some ip red faction saint's row darksiders uh deserve some juice hopefully 4a games metro series and gearbox make it okay i forgot they have 4a fuck that's another one goddamn what's gonna happen to them uh, I'm down with some Xbox and Dunkin' Donut subscriptions. Make it happen, Phil Spencer, laughing emoji. Great show as always and cannot wait for the next one. Well, I appreciate you writing it as always, Mike. Have a great week and thank you so much for your input. Always enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, dude, you you, get, you got me thinking I completely forgot about 4A being part of Embracer. That fucking sucks, dude. Man, I swear to God, I hope they don't end up with Tencent. <laughs> uh, good boy RS2MQ. I'm just going to say good boy wrote in. Good boy wrote in and says, I would like to know your gamer tag. You never talk about it. That is a fair point. I don't talk about my gamertag. For the longest time, forever and always, my gamertag was Second Best Zero Four. I hate that gamer tag. Always wanted to get away from it. My girlfriend temporarily changed my Steam name to Yesterday. So I just put it on my Xbox to keep it consistent. But now I hate that name too. For a second I thought it was cute. I'm like, oh, that's cute. I kept the name my girlfriend gave me uh, for a minute there, and that's cute. It's like it's like I love her or something. And then after a couple of weeks, I was like. No, I hate this name. I need to change it again. So right now, my Xbox Gamer Take is Yesterday, Y-A-A-S-T-E-R-D-A-Y. But I would really like to change it again. I think I'm testing it out. I'm, I keep changing my name on Call of Duty every couple of months to see if there's like a different name I like. I'm trying to think. Of, I don't know why I want Cold War to be in my name. I don't, be, don't even fucking get me started on it. But I, I think I'm going to go for Cold War Cobra. Because I, I like the way it looks. Like, it looks cool to look at it, and it reads fun. Although, it, it's kind of a stupid name that means nothing. But kind of like the Cold War Cobra. Like, Cobra, like G.I. Joe. Um, but also, it sounds like a freaking enemy faction in some Call of Duty game or something. I don't know. I'm kind of into it. So, I'm thinking about Cold War Cobra being my next Xbox Live name. Um, but I, I don't know. Who knows? Cronky wrote in and says, Volition getting shut down is so sad. I love Red Faction series so much. Shake my head. I hate Embracer and I'm worried about the next team getting on the chopping block. Well, uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, it's Gearbox. So yes, we're all worried. Fuck them. This is why you don't root for sheer consolidation of the industry, and you, and you want people to focus with what's on their plate instead of going back to the buffet for seconds. You know what I'm goddamn saying? You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about Golden Corral. i talking about video games here, of course. To which Sam Frito responded and says, Yes, Volition really had been a force in the double-A space for a long while. I enjoyed Saints Row, most of them at least, and one of the Red Faction games. My hope is that Microsoft can bring them all under Xbox... But I don't know what they would want to make with them. I uh, their heart wasn't really in the Last Saints Row game, so maybe an open world remake of Paperboy. An open world remake of Paperboy would be so that could be fun actually. That could be, dude. Paperboy could like No Man's Sky, right? You you get on a bike, and this game's so open world. You don't even have to go to your neighborhood. You can ride your bike to other people's neighborhoods and deliver these newspapers. This is this is taking NES gaming to a whole new level. Fuck you, Paperboy. This is called uh paperboy world super paperboy world for xbox who who owns paperboy who has that ip can xbox have that is that activision now can i have that can we have that i don't i hope xbox doesn't buy volition i I don't mean any disrespect to those people i do not think volition would be a good fit for xbox and again it's like no we need we need focus on what's on your plate right now but yes I do hope they land on their feet, those developers in particular. I hope all is well at the end of the day because I don't want anyone to lose their job or their livelihood, of course, but... Guys, I think with that said, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. That's all the comments. That's all the thoughts. I'm losing my voice. We talked a lot about Starfield. I did a lot of nonsense, and that is basically all there is to an episode of Xbox On Podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and round it out now. You guys, thank you all so much for listening. If you listen to any of my incoherent rambling at the top of the show, as opposed to the incoherent rambling through the middle and the end of the show, uh, please do leave a five-star review for the show. I really am trying to just get this show out to more people. The reason I ask for five-star reviews because... Apple literally doesn't push this fucking podcast to anyone unless you get five stars. It's like YouTube. YouTube videos don't really get pushed into people's algorithms unless you watch it for a long time or comment or hit like. Like You have to engage with the content in order for these services to push the content onto people. So right now, if Jimmy John of Jimmy John Sandwich Corporation and Big Game Hunting goes onto the Apple iTunes store and goes, gee whiz, I really would like to listen to a podcast about Xbox. He's going to put that shit in and he's going to get podcast unlocked. He's going to get Ragtag Radio, he's going to get Xbox 2, he's going to get Defining Duke. These are all great podcasts. Jimmy John of Jimmy John's Fortune and in Big Game Hunting should absolutely listen to and subscribe to all those podcasts. No disrespect to those podcasts, but my objective is to get enough reviews that one day maybe one day I can add a I can somehow show up in those top 10 top 20 search results I actually don't know where I am I don't I haven't used an iPhone in like two years so I I don't know where I show up if you search Xbox on the Apple iTunes store if someone wants to write in and let me know uh, if you search Xbox on the podcast app how, how many search results pop up before Xbox on I have no clue but I do know that Every time I check I'm a little impressed with h- how not too far down the list I am but you know if I could get myself bumped up a, l- a little higher we're just we're just trying to get the podcast out to people listen I'm not backed by some other pre-existing media company. I'm not backed by IGN. I'm not backed by some kind of thing to get my name out there. I'm not someone who already has a name for themselves deciding to jump into the podcasting sphere. So there's there's nothing for me. I'm starting from scratch. I was nothing but a mere humble uh, worker bee living here in the Orlando, Florida. And I decided to do an Xbox podcast in my boxers one day in my apartment. And I have built what I built from complete, total scratch. And so I'm just trying with what I have to build my way up. So if you could put in a five-star review, that'd be excellent. If you put in a four-star review, fuck you, you're ruining my podcast. You're ruining my life. I hate you. I wish you were never born. And also, if you just listen to the podcast, that's that in and of itself just warrants a huge thank you. I, I appreciate you guys so much. I'm entitled to... Nothing that I have received with this podcast through the support, the comments, the years of people listening, and, and and just showing any kind of support in any way they can. So I appreciate each and every one of you, uh, but I also do appreciate a little further support if I you know if I could be so uh, if I could be so bold as to ask. I I, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. But most importantly, I hope you guys have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to try that pimento and honey sandwich. It's not my place to tell you what you can and can't do. So if you want to try it, go for it. Enjoy some pumpkin beer. I actually think a honey and pimento chicken sandwich would go really well with a pumpkin beer, actually. I just I just decided right now. So do that. Play some video games. Enjoy Starfield. Enjoy non-Starfield games. Uh, Mortal Kombat 1 reviews are coming out. Looks like the game's doing well. And until next week, for the love of God, power your dreams.